Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bluefish Design in Tempe, Arizona. Bluefish Design is a full-service marketing ad agency that can work with you on your logos, your branding, your website development, all your interactive and digital media, whatever it takes to take your company to the next level. So they're awesome people over there. Look them up online, www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for today's episode, we welcome Lauren Saria, local food writer and restaurant writer for the Arizona Republic magazine. Uh, she was gracious to come on, talk all about this weekend at Devoured Food Festival, talk about her trip to Italy. We talked a lot about unsalted bread and get into a debate on whether or not pizza is toast or not. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was a lot of fun to record it. Thank you very much. I'm so excited we're doing Italian. Every time we do Italian wines, it's always a That's good. like every other episode yeah, now. it's like every other episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I figured it was a good time to do Italian wines too because you're on the show. You were just in Italy. I was literally like two weeks ago in Italy. The last time you and I actually got a chance to drink wine together, we were probably drinking some Italian wines. Yeah, well, every we time would, I hang out with you, I think we drink Italian. Well, I think we drink some wine at least. We definitely drink a lot of wine. That's so we drink all the wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you came with us to base pizza. Yes. That place. And I was telling John like five seconds ago, I go up to that trailhead on 32nd and Lincoln like once a week. And every time I drive by, I'm like, why don't I go to base all of the time? That place is amazing. And I, I don't know. I just. They're really good people too behind it. Yeah. Well, you know, they started actually bottling their own, uh, the hot chili oils. Okay. I'm not going to lie. That's like 50% of the reason I want to go to base. Yeah. So now I'm just going to buy the oil. They, they have their whole <laughs> whole lineup of them now. Oh my God. That night we were pushing them. I remember saying, you guys have to start selling these. It's so, I mean like most of the time, not most of the time, a lot of the time when I'm eating pizza, I'm eating it for the crust because carbs. Oh yes. But there I'm eating it so I can dip the crust in oil specifically i'm see i'm with you on that one i am all about crust when it comes to pizza like i don't like deep dish pizza at all i don't want to eat a casserole oh. as pizza it's not it's not pizza deep dish pizza is not pizza it's I, a casserole okay. <laughs> i'm so glad that you brought that up because so i slash as a part of the arizona republic dining team we have started a facebook group i'm gonna plug it momentarily it's called phoenix Eats. oh go ahead plug it join it it's great we have ridiculous discussions, like ridiculous in the sense that like they're overly serious discussions <laughs> about very uh, un relatively unimportant food related topics. And one of the discussions we got into that was super heated was whether or not deep dish pizza is pizza. Well, actually, I'm going to back up. We started about with the discussion of whether or not pizza qualified as toast, which huh. I am on the side that, yes, it is. It technically would qualify as toast because it's like toasted bread with stuff on top, right? I never thought about that. That's yeah. such a good point. I feel like you should be in front of that sign that says pizza is toast, change my mind. It, yeah, right? <laughs> and, then, and then I came in with, and someone was like, what about deep dish? And I was like, okay, well, that's an apples and oranges freaking thing to bring up because deep dish pizzas and pizza. And then- I don't think you can count it as a pizza if you pass out and you could drown in it. That, Thank you. So, yeah. Um, like, Lou, like Joe's a big Chicago pizza guy. Grant, he's from Chicago, so he's raving about Lou Malnati's. 
And I'm like, I, dude, I ordered this pizza an hour ago and it's still not here because they're still cooking it. This doesn't count as pizza. Like, no. it, it should be something that comes out within 15, 20 minutes. If <laughs> I can't pick it up and eat it, it's not pizza. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's finger food. Like, you're, you have to be able to either, and if it's too big, like New York pizza, you fold it. There's ways to eat it. Yes. Thin crust, always it's easy to eat, but a casserole, you no. need a fork and a knife. Also, like, deep dish, I just, I truly don't understand like what the draw is with deep dish. Like, is it just for people that love tomato sauce? Like, <laughs> I, you know, it's like, I don't get it. That's a good point. And a lot of cheese. A lot of cheese. Yeah. But I even, I feel like it's it, more sauce than cheese even. How do you even originate that? Like pizza makes sense. Okay. You throw dough in there, you put toppings, right. it works. Like who decided, no, all I have is this, you know, <laughs> pie pan and I can't make a pizza. Otherwise, like, we'll just fold the dough around it and put the whole can into there. And then just kind of throw some cheese on the top and we'll go from there. Yeah. I don't know. It's cold weather, maybe, that they wanted something heartier because it's Chicago's yeah, deep dish pizza point. area. I mean, first of all, I just want to let you guys know that everyone from Chicago listening to your podcast now hates you. But That's fine. Actually, that's, <laughs> it's good press. Hey, Chicago, your pizza sucks sometimes. Your pizza's the worst. <laughs> and so is your baseball team. You have great architecture, <laughs> Which <though>? one? <laughs> your city is amazing for food and a whole lot of other things, yeah. but your pizza is dumpster fire food. Thank You're, you for Alinea. That's all. That's your it. third greatest landmark <laughs> is a big silver bean. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I yeah. could go on. I actually really love Chicago. <laughs> I do, too. I love Chicago, but when you're famous for really cold weather, bad politicians, a silver bean, and bad pizza, well... Well, last time we were there, we actually got a chance to eat at the Old Town Oven Grinder, which is does pizza pot pies. It's like a 200-year-old okay. place. So that, is it like a pizza Pop-Tart? <laughs> well, it, literally, it's a... Wait, so, but I want that, though, too. A pizza Pop-Tart? They, I think that's just a hot pocket. It's just a hot pocket. <laughs> the, the way they build these, it's a, a ceramic dish that's basically filled with cheese, sauce, and the dough on top. And they roast it off in the dish. When it shows up at your table, a guy shows up with two hot mitts and he flips it over okay. and, and literally becomes a pizza pot pie, kind of. Huh. They have, to get into this place, you have to wait over an hour and a half before they open. Once they open, good luck. Wow. We showed up at 9.30 a.m. to get in line for an 11 a.m. seating. Dang. When we left at 12.15 it looked like a war zone out there. There was people all over the pavement and like everyone was There waiting. was sauce everywhere. There was sauce. <laughs> How many people were murdered? Nobody. It's just sauce. It's just, it's sauce. just all the sauce everywhere. They, they, they serve salad, bread, and pizza. Popeyes. I mean, I'm down. And that's it. I don't want to wait that long for pizza, but. I don't think I've ever been to a restaurant yet where you have to get there first and just hope to go. Oh, I take the back. Little Miss Barbecue was the one where you just yeah. get there and hope. Come you're on, Lauren. On you've waited for Bianco's before. You know what? Actually, so I'm. I love Chris. I will actually fully admit that I did not go to Pizza Bianco regularly until he opened the 20th street and Camelback location, which is by my house and almost never has a wait. And the last time I tried to go, there was a wait and I left. So I just, Whoa. yeah, I know, but par uh, parking too. I'm a big parking thing. If I can, yeah. I want to be able to park my car and go into the restaurant and not have to pay, find a garage, find a valet. Oh, I know. Oh, and then get the, turned uh, down. What? What do you get turned down? Well, like, well, if you parked in a garage, spent all your money, and you go to Pizzeria Bianco, and they're like, yeah, uh, it's four yes, hour wait. Correct. Like, well, that sucks. They're just turning down your like crappy car. They're like, no, we, we <laughs> won't like, park this. Like, we're telling you to leave. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you pay, all of a sudden you walk down to the bottom stairs. No, I just can't. get out. <laughs> too much, too much Loki for in this car. Sorry. <laughs> They, oh, can they can tell you're that guy that's going to come back out and be like, oh, I don't have any cash. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, 
not this guy again. Oh, damn, he's back again. So, how hard is it to be a food writer and go out to eat and be completely neutral? Yeah, also, real quick, we should probably introduce you. Oh, yeah, hi, guys. Is it that time? Hi, it's Yeah, it's me. about, uh, we should do this a little more sooner than later, but hey. <laughs> so, today, we have Lawrence Aria on the podcast. Hi. Food critic for Arizona. It's me. All right, go are ahead. You, are you a food critic or a food writer? So my uh, food reporter, writer, I have been a, a critic in the past. We currently have a, a person who that is his full title. So I will do some criticism, but my job title on my business cards, if I ever remember to order them, is <laughs> technically food reporter. Your food non-existent reporter. business cards? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yeah, just email the office manager and they'll get them for you. And I'm like, I'm never going to do that, so... It's funny. It's the easiest things that nobody ever ends up doing. Yeah, totally. Well, that's when people ask you if you have business cards. No, I have virtual cards. I know. Also, Saving the but like, also, if you can't, here's my thing. My social media is all public. My emails like at the bottom of every story I write. So I'm just like, if you can't find me on the internet, like you don't des- deserve you're not to really send trying. me an email. Like you're yeah. you're literally not trying at all. Yeah, Come on. Pretty sure I can <laughs> Google Lauren Saria and find you somehow. Oh yeah, like I'm. Yeah, that's what I also. I'm like, y- you gotta be smart enough to like find me. Come on. I actually had an interesting debate with someone the other night. Is if you meet somebody at a restaurant, a bar, or something like that. Say you're you're sitting there with a couple friends and you talk to the couple next to you. They're from out of town. They're visiting. Yeah. They want to know some restaurant recommendations. You give them some, and then you want to give them your number, exchange information. Do you give them your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook, your cell phone? Definitely not my cell phone. Also, like truly, I'm going to look right now. I literally, you guys can test. I have a hundred. I have a problem. I have a hundred unread text messages, seven voicemails, and and 4,000 emails. If I give you my cell phone number, that's like, like I'm not going to probably text you back, which is a a problem. It's not... I haven't figured out what is the, I need to maybe go to a therapist, figure what out is happening, but no, but I give people my Instagram. So it's, it's a good question because I was confused. This was a really cool couple. Yeah. They wanted to know other breweries. They were heading up to Sedona. I was like, all right, you got to go eat at uh, Elote. I yeah. was telling them some other places, but I was like, here's my number. If you need some other recommendations, just text me. Text me. And Do you I, answer your text messages? <laughs> is that a weird question? <laughs> uh, see, I'll answer text messages. I sometimes just don't answer my phone. That's yeah. my thing. Like yeah. it, I don't I, answer my phone. There's, I get so many robocalls now, and just all day long, I just stopped answering my phone. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I if I if I don't have the number, I usually don't answer it, which is it is really weird. Yeah, because all day long, like it's just something from Tulsa or New Jersey, or yeah. I get I get stuff from India all the time. I'm like, what weird. the hell? Who's calling in? Why from India? The I'm like, what? I, I immediately freak to. out, and I'm like, what bill didn't I pay? Because that's my only assumption of why people are mm. calling me half the time. And then, of course, I answer, and it's, hey, do you want new insurance? Like, damn it. Come on. Not again. Yeah. And especially on my side, because everybody in, like, my end of the wine industry calls each other. Like, nobody, yeah. everybody's too lazy to text. So I had to get phone calls all the time, and every time I answer it, it's just a losing battle. <laughs> so going back to being a food writer. Yes. Is it really, truly difficult to dine out and be unsubjective? <clears throat> just to tune out, so to say? Um, I mean... I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm fortunate in that, like, I don't necessarily have to, um, like try to be as, as objective as like a, as like a full-time critic does. Like that is super important that those people are, um, 
trying to, you know, not let their, their friendships and relationships with people like get in the way of what they do professionally. But like for what I do covering news, um, for the most part, I don't, it's not as big of a concern, um, in what I do now. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's hard. And then all, and also like, you know, I went to journalism school and they tell you like, you have to be objective and like not have opinions and all your writing should never, you know, reflect what you personally believe. And, um, uh, I just don't believe that's possible, which like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to be like skewered as a journalist, but you know, I mean, you're always going to, what everything you think is going to be colored by your beliefs. So like pretending that I'm an objective on any topic, let alone food is kind of, I mean, I think it happens to us. We've go out to dinner and we just want to have a good dinner. And like with your, for your birthday, you're like, Oh, let's pick a bottle of wine. And I'm being hypercritical about the wine list. We're talking shit. We were talking about shit about that wine list for podcasts later. (laughs) Dude, I'm not going to lie. Where did you go? Cause I'm not going to go there anymore. (laughs) It it was a decent wine list. It's just nothing we wanted to drink. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those places where, you know, you expect such a great, you know, restaurant and food and everything. And, you know, you get there and it's like, like the food was good, but you and I kept staring at each other. Like, what do we do with this wine list? Like it, it sucks. Like yeah. it's clearly catered to people who are 80 and older. Yes, that's what yeah. I was going to say for name brand stuff. And there was nothing. And we settled on one wine and it was just honestly like, you know, we talk about, especially if you're having like a really good dinner, everything comes together. The people you're with, the conversation, the food and the wine and the wine on this thing was like the pillar that broke. It was yeah. just like, all right, well, we're just having a drink and it's all right. I mean, I think too that it's hard as like a writer and a, and a critic to, and like probably for you guys as wine people in the wine industry to like go to a place like that. And you have to admit though, like if that restaurant's been open for a long time and it's busy, like there's obviously a market for this thing. That's like totally not what you want. And so I do a lot of the time have to be like, you know, there are a lot of restaurants that I feel like are very middle of the road. Like they're not exciting to me. The food is like a constant seven to eight. And I'm like, would I ever go there and spend my money there? Probably not. Like I know a million other restaurants that are nines and tens. But like every time I go, it's full and other people I know love it. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, clearly you found a niche and like, okay. Yeah. Enjoy. (laughs) It's it's with us. Like, honestly, like I've gone to a lot of places where I'll look at their wine menu first before I look at the food. Yeah. And that's kind of what I look at because I want to see, all right, like. I like the little eclectic places that put on some unique stuff, but I get, you got to have a name brand on there and stuff. And I'll look at some wine menus like you just are catering to a very specific person. So I kind of, I can get a little judgment on the food even to be like, all right, uh, like if I go to a certain restaurant and your menu is built for the 70, 80 year old crowd with money, your steaks are going to not probably be the way I like them done. Like they're going to be big over peppered and salty because that's what people want with like a cooked asparagus and mushrooms that are what I could get at a store but I'm going to pay like 30 bucks for them kind of a thing. Yeah. But if I go to like, there's a Bernays involved. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but then I could go to some place where I don't recognize 90% of the wine. I'm like, all right, well they're, they might be catering it to their menu. So then we'll have like a really cool thing. And honestly, I found a little bit that wine menus with the food menu kind of go hand in hand on if it's geeky and weird, I know the food is going to be uniquely better in some weird way. Well, Mark Tarbell talked about his wine list when we saw him up at Ren House the other day. Yeah. And he said he has some wines on his list that he keeps on his list because he knows the clientele drinks them. Right. And they come in every other day just to drink that wine. Maybe it's something he doesn't want on his list. However, he's smart enough to know to that that's where the, that pays that's, the bills. Yeah. It's it yeah, it's like restaurants have the same thing. Like I when I was working for Aaron Chamberlain at Phoenix Public Market. 
um, the whole restaurant, the, the premise is like market fresh food that's made with seasonal ingredients. Yeah. And the number one, sell- one of the top sellers is the burger. And we were always like, let's take the burger. Let's change the burger. And it was like, okay, can't do that. Everyone yeah. is eating the burger. <laughs> you know, it's can't like, change it. yeah. yeah, well, okay. <laughs> so you just went back to the new times. You, you were with them for a number of years or Chow Bella. Yeah. So I was at the, I was at the new times for, um, like 2009 to 2000 and I don't even know. I can't know. 2000. I don't know. I was there for a while. I'm going to go with that. Let's Felt keep like it a long time. <laughs> um, and then I spent 2017, 2018 working for um, Aaron Chamberlain, who owns Phoenix Public Market Cafe in St. Francis, or he used to own that. Um, we opened three restaurants in nine months, and I wanted to die of exhaustion. Um, and then the opportunity came up to go back to journalism at the Arizona Republic. So I am at the Republic now. Got it. But yeah, back in journalism. That's what you went to school for. That's your passion. It is. Yeah, it was, it was nice. I, I, so I got out of, I, I was ready to get out of journalism, um, because I wanted, I felt like to like be a better food writer, I either needed to go to culinary school or work in a restaurant to just understand food and the industry better. Um, and I kind of was like, Oh, I definitely don't want to go to culinary school. Cause I am bad with sharp knives. Um, <laughs> I'll, re- I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah. Not don't give me sharp tools. Um, and I just didn't really know like how I was going to get a job at a restaurant. That was seemed really weird. And then like Aaron was like, Hey, I'm like, gonna open a bunch of restaurants. I need like a PR person, slash communications person slash like assistant, there's no job description. Jack, yeah, yeah like Army just knife. come come open these restaurants with me. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I did that for two years. And uh, and I, yeah, then I left in October. So it's a lot of work. People oh don't God. understand how much work goes into the restaurant business. I'm yeah. It. I was. I mean, part of the reason that I ended up taking the job and going back to journalism because I truly loved what I was doing and like I loved the people I was working with was because I was also working like. 60 Forever, to 70 every hours a week. Day. Yeah. And, and like in the restaurant industry, if you're like, Oh, I only worked 50 this week. They're like, nice. You know what I mean? It's like managers of restaurants are like, yeah, I'm, I'm just about to hit 70 and you're, and it's like normal. Yeah. And I, I was like, uh, no. I worked out my <laughs> hourly wage. I was salary, yeah. but I once sat down and said, okay, I make this much per year. I'm working this many hours per week. I'm barely making minimum wage. Oh yeah. I'm sh- <laughs> like, I totally believe it. It's such a hard industry. It really is. I mean, at least you get the one like side of it too, where like we were talking earlier, you had to go do the liquor licensing. Oh my God. You had to go like, look at like what paperwork gets involved in it. Cause you know, from most people's side, if they walk in, they see the servers or the bartenders and that's it. Like, Oh, the host does an easy job. They got to drop them off. And then your server just runs your food and takes your order. And it's easy, but you forget in the back of the house, like everybody's ordering the food. They got to get things timed right. They have to have what ingredients come in this time. You have to have somebody training your staff. And that's, barely scratching the surface before the guy who owns the place has to get a building permit, pay for the parking spots around the area, liquor licensing, zoning. And you're like, holy crap, there is so much to building a restaurant. Oh yeah. It's not like anybody out there can just walk along and be like, I want to start a restaurant today. And you buy your equipment and open up the next day. Oh my God. No no. way. That's not how it works. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, and that was the one, that was probably the first thing I real I started to realize like being in a restaurant every day was just like how many people it takes on a daily basis to just like open the doors like to to open the doors and like make like eggs is like 20 people it's like so many people (laughs) it's crazy yeah but 
you found a nice hybrid where you can stay in the restaurant business, but you don't have to work in the restaurant business. Oh my God. I, so yeah. So I used to like complain, like I used to go to like devour and like be like, oh my gosh, it's such a long day. I had to eat so much. I'm so <laughs> tired. And then I like worked devour. Like I like had to like, you know, do all the paperwork, get all the food handlers cards, like find the staff to like work the booth, work the booth myself, set up the booth, decorate the booth, everything, make signage. And like, this year, I was, like, so relaxed at Devour. Like, I was like, oh, you my God. You actually got to enjoy Devour. <laughs> yeah, I was time. like, I don't have to do any of that. It's great. So that's, that's good, too, because we just did Devour. We were there Sunday. Obviously, we saw you. Yeah, and uh, briefly. this is the first time I had actually been able to walk around and enjoy it because the three times I went to Devoured, I worked with Damien when mm-hmm. he was at Vias because he's like, hey, you want to come down and pour wine with me, which I really liked. But watching that thing grow into what it was, I was like, this is crazy. Everybody here is eating and dr- and running around and I'm like constantly pouring wines for people and then you get the one person who wants to actually talk and learn about the <laughs> wine, but I can't talk to you because I got to pour the 10 people who are just pour Trying me, pour drunk. me, pour me. <laughs> yeah, just... Oh, that's all I get? Like, well, he went, don't go to this guy. He's only pouring it out. So, like, dude, everybody's pouring it out. So, like, all right. So, this was, I thoroughly enjoyed this year where the, I could taste food and drink wine. Yeah, the public food and drink events are always unique because you get a very interesting slice of humanity of all the people in town. You'll get the food geeks. You get the wine geeks. You get the people that just want to get drunk. Oh, totally. I feel like pe- you have to actually get like read a direction book to participate, or you should. I mean, we screwed up. We didn't drink water all day. <laughs> you know? I also drank every coffee place's cold brew. Every <laughs> one. I was shaking by the time I was leaving. Yeah, I for the so I was mentioning this to John. I think a little bit earlier. So I uh, t- used they okay when they used to do it at the Phoenix Art Museum. The food used to be in one section and the wine was in another section. And I used to strategically go to all the food places first because they used to run out of food a lot. And then I'd do the wine last because I never run out of wine. But then I'd always yeah. be so drunk at the end of the event because I I had, was drinking all the wine together. So now that they like have the wineries interspersed, I didn't get drunk, which was great. <laughs> well, you weren't trying hard. I was enough. not. I was. I was trying to kind of be sober. So. Well, yeah, but you actually had to try all the food. I'm imagining. I did, and remember what did I did. You ate. do it for fun, or were you on uh, like AZ Central's time? Like you had to go try because at the end of it, you're gonna be like, okay, here's what was good. Here, what was you know, I liked. I was. They had me doing the social media coverage, which. That's like second nature to me. So uh, yeah, I was like, I was like tweeting and I did a Facebook live, which was actually so, so, so (laughs) it's so funny because, and I don't know if like you guys have had this with this podcast, but like, so I did this Facebook live on Saturday and like the I looked at it like at the end of Saturday and there were like 3000 views and which is like, you're like, cool. Okay. What, you know, they're not going to fire me at my job. 3000 people listen to this, watch this thing, whatever. Then all day on Sunday, like multiple people were like, like I'd be like getting my food and people would like look over at me and be like, you're from the Republic. I saw you on that Facebook live. And like every time it like, I felt like, like mildly violated and like shocked that these people had like, it's like, I don't know. Do you guys have that? Have you had people be like, oh, I heard your podcast. People have commented on things we've said on the podcast, even out of devour people like, oh, the other day you were talking about this, this, and this, and I it felt like someone knew something about my life. Right? It's but weird. I, but I I'm also it. putting it out there now, <laughs> Yeah, too. I know. We talked to Kirti about this, and that's one of my big, biggest anxiety things is putting my life out for the whole globe to see. Yeah. This is listened to in up to 15 countries right now. <laughs> like, there's people in Thailand listening. Shout, Shout out to out them. Shout out to Thailand guy again. <laughs> Shout out. Whoever that is. 
Hi, Thailand. But but it's it's <laughs> it's crazy to know that there's people all across the world listening to this. That someday I might be in Germany, and they're like, "You're mm-hmm. the you're the guys." Yeah. I have that, I get that, I'm not going to say I get that a lot, but like I do, like I get it even with people that I know through work professionally because I, I'm like a, I'm a, I'm on Instagram a lot. Like if you follow me, I, I like am a over poster. So like when I came <laughs> back from Italy, people who I like haven't seen in like six months were like, oh my gosh, your trip looked amazing. Did you love Amalfi? And I'm, I'm like, I'm always like, oh, that's so weird. But then I'm like, Lauren, you. Like you, you put it. everything like, you eat and there. drink ever on fa- on Instagram. Like, come on, people know your it, life. It is kind of funny that like, you get to a point where you're like, you're doing it because a, it's fun, and you're like, oh man, this is a great thing to remember, and you want to show everybody what you're doing. But then all of a sudden, somebody confronts you with, oh wow, that one dish you had at that restaurant looked amazing. How was it? And it's a total stranger. Now you're like, uh, it it, it was great yeah like oh crap random stranger saw me eating food in another country on That's my instagram so that is the thing about instagram is that it's public information i mean oh, you're totally. just anybody can follow you anytime and all of a sudden now they know what you're eating in the amalfi coast oh my god it's a, yeah i actually another girl at devoured i was going to throw my garbage away and she was like the volunteer doing the doing the like sorting you know and she like starts telling me she's like oh that's compost and then she like looks up in my face and she's like and like, I, at first I was like, oh my God, what do I have? Like, stop on my I'm face. You. Yeah, like, what's happening? And she's like, oh, uh, so I follow you on Instagram? And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah. Like, it's so weird. It, I, 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 I just like don't think about, I, I'm not, I guess it's just like, I don't think about it consciously of like, okay, people are actually watching this. You know, I've got- That's really cool though. At least you know you have a lot of people who are paying attention to you. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. I Otherwise guess. you're just another voice out there and nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not ce- shouting into the void and nobody's answering. That's how celebrities think about it too though. I mean, imagine somebody who's just in a TV show randomly <laughs> and all of a sudden people are coming up to them at airports wearing their pictures. Oh my god! And they're like, they're on a reality show or something like that, and they're like, "Am I really famous now?" I can't even imagine. Yeah, but they also get paid like a hundred million dollars, so I think they're fine with some of that. <laughs> some of that, yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah. I'm just like really, truly uh, awkward talking to strangers, which I know sounds weird because my whole job is talking to strangers. Restaurant business. Um, <laughs> I know. Critic. Okay. Okay. Case come in point, on. Though, oh, writer. I, writer. Not critic. <laughs> well, and I put this on Facebook because like, I think people don't believe me when I say that, but like, this was like such an, a, such a, a strong example of like how nervous I truly get talking to strangers. I had to call, um, Chucky Duff, who is like a local developer. He owns, um, like rebel lounge and a bunch of stuff downtown. He just bought DeSoto, uh, market. Mm-hmm. And so I had to call him and like get his comment, whatever. And I got his number from my coworker and I told her like, Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. I've never talked to this guy before. Um, anyway, long story short, he doesn't pick up. I leave a voicemail and I leave my own phone. No, no, I leave his phone number to call, to call me back. <laughs> like I, and well like, I, yeah. And I like hang up and I'm like sitting there at my desk and I'm like, Oh uh, shit. Really yeah. <laughs> Now I've got to call back <laughs> now, and explain myself. So I had to call back. Oh, my God. And then he picked up, and, and I was like, hi, this is Lawrence Arthur Republic. And he's like, oh, hi. I was wondering why this number looked familiar. I, I just I just listened to your voicemail, and I go, yeah, did you notice I left your phone number? And he was like, yes, I did. <laughs> I just go, well, Monday. <laughs> That's a good icebreaker, though, because, hey, you know what? You probably both laughed, and it broke oh, the ice. Oh, my and- gosh. I mean, yeah, he probably thinks I'm really stupid, but but sometimes I am, so. Yeah. Well, we can all do some dumb stuff from time dumb to time. Well, we do it. We do it every day. Well, you're very lucky because you're dealing with restaurateurs. They're people with crazy personalities. That is true. Chefs and chef. Anyone who's going to open a restaurant, crazy. Dude, they got to be on a whole another level. Imagine being like a tech writer for like Wired magazine or something, and having to interview like 
geeks and nerds oh my and gosh, trying to like no. get an interview out of them and like just pry it out. Or politicians. Meh, no. Yeah, but those people want to talk. They just don't want to talk about what you want to talk about. Right. Versus like you go to a restaurant person, you're like, okay, we might be doing this interview at nine o'clock at night. Or in our case, we did one at midnight one time because we had to wait for them to finish. I know. <laughs> but chefs, like, by the time they get chefs, off, man. You know, that's easier for them to record a podcast at midnight than it is at three in the afternoon before service. Oh, yeah. Or any time before noon generally, because usually they're, <laughs> they're night not owls. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely not <laughs> awake. They're having breakfast oh, at wait. one. <laughs> well, that's yeah. the other thing about something like Devour. You know, on Saturday, you get more corporate restaurants typically you because do. they have a full staff. The people that have a restaurant in a hotel or a resort can put the secondary staff in charge of the restaurant while they're at Devour, where somebody who's a small restaurant, somebody like Bar Pesce, yeah. somebody like Nona, they have service on Saturday night. They're, they finish cleaning the restaurant. They're out of there at midnight or one o'clock in the morning, and they're waking up at four to start prepping for Devour. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, As uh, I, one thing I did like about Devour a lot was obviously what you were saying, where everybody was separated into different areas, and therefore you could have wine, food, coffee, or whatever in the same spot. That front bottleneck area, though, because I saw your live feed, I was like, you're right, man. You, we got crammed in there, and we were waiting in Nona's Lime, yeah. as well as... Uh, who it was something who or whatever they had the chicken sandwich right there in the oh, front. Oh, worth takeaway. Worth takeaway, and those lines crossed each other, and it was an immediate gate, and nobody could get through it without like pushing through people. I was like, and those huh. were like the only lines. Yes, yeah, were the only lines. <laughs> That's it. I wanted to be like, do you all know there are literally forty other restaurants here? None oh, it was of which perfect. Yeah, we got into <laughs> some areas, and uh, it was hands down my favorite of the day was that uh, that chicken mole. That black oh, meat. The Gallo Blanco. From Gallo. Oh, oh my god! The quote, I, yes, I, that I was my ate that one. and I looked at Doug and I said, "Delicious, but spicy." It was. I was not. Did you do it like that too? <laughs> no. Did you do like pinky oh. and no, delicious? No, I looked at him with like panic in my eyes and I go, "I was like delicious, but spicy." And I was like, "Why is it so spicy?" And he was like, "There's habaneros in it." And I was like, "Why did you not tell me that?" Like it was. Just, it wasn't too spicy, but it was like you got to warn people. Maybe you got the one spicy I'm piece because mine wasn't spicy. I was gonna say I mine was. Mine had a heat to it, but it wasn't. I think Doug was mess, messing with you. Probably. Yeah, I just like that the fact that I didn't wait for. <laughs> He's anything. like, "Oh, here comes Lauren. <laughs> I'll get her." Yeah, yeah. He's rustling, <laughs> rustling behind. I know. Got hey, grab, grab the habaneros. I was giving him. I was giving him shit on Saturday because he did these burgers, and I was like, "Doug, this is delicious," but this. This is like a half of a burger. Like, are you trying to get me full so I can't eat anything else? And he was like, I didn't think about that, but maybe. And that then I'm the like, first thing maybe on Sunday, he was trying to ruin my taste buds. So Doug was like, sick. oh, you talk shit. I'm going to get even. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just the whole day he can't uh, concentrate I'll get her. on anything. <laughs> no, I, I loved every bit of it. We got to try a decent amount of food. I tried all the wine, I think. But uh, I do a ton of wine. yeah, no, it was such good stuff. That George's, uh, Frazier's hot chicken. Oh I loved gosh, that, that one. It was fantastic. It was messy. The little okay. ahi place. It was from, messy. Uh, what was it? What was that? Bourbon? Not bourbon. I can't remember the names because I took pictures of everything so I could look back and see it. That's how you do it. Yeah, that's the right way because now I'm like, yeah, I don't remember it, but I'll go scroll through my picture like, oh, yeah, that's where I got to go next. Yeah. I just, I, I enjoyed the setup this year minus the 8 million bees that hung around me for a little bit. Yeah, you can't really do anything. It's, it's a garden. It's a garden. So they're kind yeah. of where they're supposed to be. I felt good. Be. At least like, uh, I imagine there's going to be some great spicy honey <laughs> flowers? somewhere. Oh, yeah. honey. I was like, the flowers? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I've been to Devour or West of Western as it was originally called. Mm-hmm. Now, How long has it been Devour? 10 years, 10 years? 12 years? I mean, it was originally West of Western in... 2007, eight. Yeah, because this year was the tenth year, so 2009. It's been it's been Devour since 2009. Okay. Yeah. and they've had a couple hiccups along the way, but I love this step. I think it was this year was the best it was ever executed. Yeah, I agree. 
And, and I've heard stories about the bottlenecks of people getting in and waiting in line forever. Yeah. I've had problems with food in the past where you couldn't, it, you waited in line for 20 minutes to get your little dish where I didn't wait in any line except for the first table. Yeah. Wine was accessible. It was actually really nice to be in like little zones. And if your zone was a little busy, just go to the next zone and it was wide open and there were couches and lounge areas yeah. and... Yeah. It was really comfortable. It was really well done, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I preferred it at the Botanical Gardens versus that square that was... Well, the art what, museum. The art museum, yeah. Yeah, and last year was the first year at the Botanical Garden, and I actually really didn't like it, and I was, like, very... Um, I think that the first year they didn't realize how much signage you truly needed because it was the footprint was so much bigger. They didn't have as much seating. Um, the restaurants were just... They, they organized the little sections very differently, um, whereas, like, this year they did like themes like there was the uptown location uh, uptown area and the roosevelt row area um and all of that i think worked really really well i did not even notice that it was organized by themes i think that's like i think that's kind of nice because it's like if you did like like that back area on saturday had like chula and well actually both days it was uptown because there was like chula seafood and uh across the pond clever it was like all uptown restaurants um, and then the middle kind of area was all Roosevelt Row restaurants. Oh, okay. But I mean, I, I think I thought that was cool because if you like were coming from Mesa or Gilbert, it was kind of like you got to do a little food tour of Central Phoenix. Brilliant. That's that's one right? thing we've always talked about is how spread out this valley is oh with God, the food. I hate it's it. <laughs> like no, we do too. We were talking about like why certain <laughs> things can't make it in some areas. But like yeah. if you're as a food writer, you got to go check out, oh, this new restaurant opened. You got to be like, oh, crap, where? Oh, it's in Chandler. Well, yeah. crap, there goes the whole day driving out to get there and oh, checking totally. it out. <laughs> totally. And actually, like, there, you know, like, Arizona Wilderness Brewery is the example that comes to mind of, like, when they were out in Gilbert. I mean, they still are, but, like, yeah. I couldn't go out there and, like, have three beers or I'd have to, like, stay in Gilbert all day. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited they opened their downtown Phoenix location. So they have now a downtown I can... Phoenix looks nice. Yes. I'm glad. I'm glad that cause I like that brewery it. and I do love that all these breweries just keep popping up every single place. We're lucky, you know, Ren House is right across the street. Love Ren House. I do too. So big news today though. Uh, last podcast we recorded after we were done, we went over to Roland's to eat. Uh, RIP. Gone. Really? Yeah. yeah. The ch the Chihuahua Bianco place. Wow, that fast? But yeah. even better, I'm happy what's happening. I am too, actually. They're putting a Penny Bianco in there. They are. And I appreciate this. In the article that Dom wrote, yeah. he said the reason why Penny Bianco didn't do more stuff, why they didn't do coffee, goes, I didn't want to do coffee because there was a coffee place right next door and I like those people. Like, yeah. I respect that line alone gives me the goosebumps because... Those are business owners looking out for each other. Like, yeah. It's amazing. And now moving to this other location, they can expand. He could do a coffee program. He, they could sell Bianco's tomatoes. They could do so much more having it. She just smiles, oh trying gosh. the wine. This wine is amazing. Yeah. We'll get to the wine in just okay. a second. We don't have to talk about it. I'll just enjoy it in silence. No, let's, we'll let's do talk. It, we do it when we talk about Italy. <laughs> I want to finish yeah. off this thing on Penny Bianco. Yeah, I want yeah, to so, talk about so, this. Yeah, so Chris Bianco, I guess, is taking over Roland's by himself. He's not going to be partners with uh, Armando and Nadia, Nadia uh -huh. anymore. The people behind Chiwas. Okay. So they're going to work on other projects and do some other things. I think there's another location they're still going to be part of or some other thing yeah, with Bianco. Yeah, the three of them also are working together on the normal, the normal, not the normal diner, but at the, um, at, there's a hotel, the graduate hotel in Tempe. 
um, which is the menu's really different actually from Roland's. It's not similar at all. It's got more like Mexican comfort food. It's like Mexican diner food, comfort food thing. Um, it's so yeah. weird to think of a Mexican diner food. Cause like I can think yeah. of a diner food, burgers, there fries, was like, like a meatloaf with bacon. I know that like Armando was kind of doing that more. He was more hands on there. But I'm really excited to have another Ponte Bianco because that is before the second location of Pizza Bianco. Like that was always where I would go because I don't know. It's, there's never a, it's counter service. Well, it, you, it can be counter service or sit down. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just I like the convenience place. of that sometimes. Yeah. I always knew when I went to Pete Bianco, I could get in. I, right. I didn't go to downtown Pizza Bianco because I just didn't want that. I don't know if I can get in or not. I know. If I'm going somewhere. I want to be confident I'm getting in. I don't like wasting time. Nope. Have you seen this thing where I know like French Laundry and a few other places do it? They sell tickets now instead of reservations. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin does that. Kevin does that? Yeah. At uh, Binkley's. Okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense because like I thought it was really interesting now that there's going to be like a secondary market of I bought a ticket. It's a reservation at 730. And then if you don't show up, you could just resell it online. And I actually think that and... Sorry, Pavle, I don't really recall, but I think that Pavle and Charlene are doing that at F&B. Or if they're not doing tickets, they switch to a reservation system where you leave a deposit. I'm pretty sure that they are doing okay, that Okay, yeah, because I know there's some places that, you know, you put a reservation in on, uh, what is it, like Open Table or one of those things, yeah. and some take money, and then a few of them, because, like, I'll be in Napa in a while, and one of them said, oh, we don't have it, but you might be able to buy a ticket online. And I was so confused, like, wait, what do you mean I could buy a ticket? And they said, well, people buy reservations, and if they don't hold it, they don't cancel. They just sell, sell their it. ticket. I was yeah. like, that's it's a really good idea for a restaurant if it's so busy. They're three, four, five, six months out full. Yeah. But at the same time, then I, the odds of getting into a place you want to go to seem extremely small. I don't know if I like it for ordinary dinner service. I think it's needed for wine dinners. I've done so many wine dinners and so many events where we have 60 reservations, but then a table of four doesn't show up or they cancel oh, yeah. at the last minute. But this restaurant has now prepped right. for 60 people. I've brought wine for 60 people, and then 10 don't show up. Now the restaurant's possibly losing money in this right. ordeal. Like, yeah. like, at least the wine, you don't have to open. But yeah, I mean, if a restaurant's bringing in a special menu, that's, yeah, it's huge. It's yeah. huge. I mean, it's, I'm intrigued to see how more that spreads out around the area because there's a couple restaurants that I think would make sense doing. Binkley's makes sense doing that. Yeah. Well, Bianco so might honestly even be well, something around a, that too. Anything that's a plated dollar, like Atlas could do something like that because it's a, it's a it's dollar plated, amount. Yeah. It's it's per person. That's it. Like, I mean, you buy a ticket, that's your four-course dinner menu, and then you just got to pay for the wine on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. It's it's amazing that we're at a point now where if you want a reservation someplace, you might have to buy a ticket to get into these. Because there's all those people that like don't show up to stuff and don't answer text messages. The monsters. Those terrible people. They're <laughs> just the worst. Garbage well, there's people on holidays, <laughs> especially holidays. This is very common. Should be in the a reverse business. Yelp. You're banned <laughs> right. if you don't show yeah, up on right. your reservation. That should be it. They thing. have them. It's out there. Do they have a reverse Yelp? Yeah, they have a customer version of Yelp. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Well, you could do that. Open Table has a built-in. Yeah, they do actually. You can. Yeah. Really? Assuming that you like are making your reservations through Open Table, the restaurant can store uh, customer information. Oh, 
That's yeah. cool. Because we had some information about people that came in with significant others and significant others, others. Oh, and nice. <laughs> Not to mention it and stuff. I Oof. love that. I actually kind of love Inside that. information. That's really fun to have that, that judgy ass aspect that. of it. <laughs> but to be like, oh, these motherfuckers are coming in. Damn it. All right. Well, Who's got it? Nope. You can't Give it to that guy. like, oh, Mr. and Mrs. blah, blah, blah. If like, the girlfriend How's... doesn't know he's married. Yeah. Oh, I did Where's that. Where's the, the wife? Day? Day? <laughs> I, I did it once too, waiting tables. I did it at Atlas the other night, and I'm not going to say who. But I had maybe... Out them. Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll talk about it. No, but somebody had showed up and bought a bottle for these girls that were out front of AZ Wines and then went into Atlas. And I walked back in. I was like, hey, by the way, those girls really appreciate it. And he gave me this look. Uh, and he was like, oh, fuck. And I was like, I didn't know anything. And then somebody came out later and goes, his wife was sitting right next to him. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Oh, John. dude, don't... Don't come into it next door and buy girls wine that's 37 feet from your wife. Yeah, that's, that's a, extra sleazy. That's, yeah. Sorry, Anyways, but not you know, to be judgy. Hey, listen, but if, I'm I had, judgy. if I had customer review thing, I would have known. Don't do that. <laughs> I might have gotten a tip that night. Speaking of that, let's talk Italy. Ooh. Oh, well, speaking of sleazy. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> there, there, well, there is a saying in Italy that says that a lot of the guys have two cell phones. One for their wives, one for their girlfriends. Well, the word wow. sleazy ends in E, so, you know, <laughs> Okay, here comes your, your Italian accent back. All right, hold uh, on. I got to push push glasses away from me so I don't knock them as I move my hands around. He does start talking with his hands uh, after a while. and Yeah, so we uh, I saw that you obviously went to Italy. Where'd yeah. you end up going? Okay, so this we're is... We're going to get into all the wine my, we're drinking now, too. This my first time going to Italy. Ever? Ever. I got all sorts Ever. of questions, so oh I'm going to cut you off about 20 times, but... I, I, yeah, do it. Um, and so I was there for like nine days, and I totally planned too much. Uh, we went to Rome, Florence, day trip to, to uh, Tuscany, specifically to the Chianti region, and did some wine tasting. And then we uh, flew, not flew, not literally flew, but took a train down to Naples, um, which is... I was I ostensibly went to Italy to visit my cousin who just had a baby and lives in Naples. So that was t the reason I went. So I spent a day in Naples with her and her baby and then also did a day trip to Amalfi. So like literally did just about all as of Italy. As much as you possibly yeah, could. Yeah, it was, it was awesome though. I, I mean, you could it. spend seven days in Rome. I oh mean. my God. Yeah, actually. So I don't really love big cities. Like I'm from Northern California. Big city's just not my vibe. So like by the time I left Rome after a day and a half, I was like- The traffic, never the people- back. Okay, so I describe Rome as the Grand Canyon. I say everybody needs to go there, take your pictures, enjoy it, and then go do something else that's fun. Oh my God, yes, totally. Like, uh -huh. I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> She's I, like, yeah, I was like, where is he going? Because I love the Grand Canyon. Um, you know what I'm saying, yeah, though? Like, yeah, I, yeah, totally. We like ran around like crazy people and like we're like, there's a fountain, there's a Coliseum. And then yeah. I'm like, cool, I've seen it. I probably don't. Don't really need to ever come back. back. I'll fly in and out. I'll spend a half a day, but yeah. Yeah, go get yeah. a half But Amalfi go. and Tuscany, I was like, I could live here. I don't need to stand on the rim anymore and take pictures. Like no. if I do it, I'm going to hike in, I'm going to do other things oh, associated yeah. with it. Same thing with Rome, but I'd rather go do other things. Yeah. That's you know, good. actually. Okay. I mean, I'm with it. At first I was like, okay, what is he talking about? It's the small <laughs> towns of Italy that make it so much fun. I mean, we obviously have this talk a lot where like this little town, it's so different that no matter where you go, no matter what town it is, it's going to be different food, different wine, different people, different everything. And they're all still like Italian people yeah. in the same kind of breath. The, the, Food is so unique over there because what we think of Italian in the United States is not the Italian that's served in Italy. Oh, my God, no. That's actually funny because I, I to, like, think and just hang out with some friends, I was I had this grand idea after I came back from Italy to have, like, an Italian dinner party. 
And I was like, I'm going to make all this food that I had in Italy. It's going to be great. We're going to drink the limoncello I brought back. And then I was like, oh, wait, all the food limoncello. I ate. Oh, yeah. Excellent. I should have brought that. That's what I should have brought. In Naples, the lemons that are like the size yes. of footballs. Oh, my God. I have photos of it. It was crazy. Anyway, I realized that I, we can't, I can't even make any of that stuff because like there's not even. I was like, oh, I had these amazing stuffed squash blossoms. Can't make that. And then I was like, I had, what else did I think about that? Anyways, there's a bunch of stuff that I was like, I'm not going to so make that. So much is regional. The cheeses are so yeah. regional. I mean, the, the, the mozzarella, the buffalo over there. Oh, my God. When you cut it, the bowl fills up with milk. Yeah. I, I mean, know. it's just something you don't see ever here. I mean, no. it's so different. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I didn't have a bad meal. And like, no, I wasn't trying to. to go to only places that are like in guidebooks. Like I was just, you know, using common sense to find cool places how much gelato did you eat um uh actually okay so actually i i don't eat a lot of dairy so every time i ate gelato i had to like take a lactate so i only had like three or four only three or four (laughs) (laughs) a day what a day no you have to over there funny though so as we're talking about this so like you know you go to italy whatever you go but in this case italy everybody wants to eat at the mom and pop shops because everyone's like oh man the mom and pop shops are what make it but yet, like, as we're out here, you know, we kind of want to go to those big, you know, Michelin star restaurants or um, any of the big things. But yet, I think some of the best restaurants here tend to be the mom and pop guys that do little things. Oh, it's totally. the same thing over there, kind of like every single place I went into was a house that was also a kitchen and they all lived in the two stories above it because it wasn't a third story. It was under construction in every damn place. But they were like, yeah, we've got four tables and the grandma's in the back making everything. And the wine is something that we've been making for 50 years, too. And they just put, we hate our neighbors, so don't go eat over there. <laughs> they just put tables out on the street, even though it's like not even like in the yeah. zoning laws. There's just there's like five tables in the middle of the street. Like, it's not even laws. stable yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> totally. The tables shifted to the left. It's it's like, so your glass slides towards you through the whole meal. <laughs> like You see a bunch of people dining. And you're like, I wonder what restaurant they're actually associated with. Right. <laughs> Although I will say I, I actually... And I want I want to like spread the good word about this restaurant because I went to this um, pizza place called uh, Pepe in Grani, which is in a Grani, which is like a, one of those adorable hilltop towns out like an hour outside of Naples um, that Jonathan Gold, the late Jonathan Gold wrote about like three or four years ago and said that it was the best pizza in Naples. It wasn't deep dish. It was not. It was not deep dish. Excellent. It was no, Neapolitan style pizza, but like new. Like he. So this chef does these like new age. Like he's not accepted widely in Naples as doing Neapolitan pizza because he like does crazy stuff. Like he, uh, you know, puts things that you're not supposed to put on pizza on it. Anyway, long story short, I was like very like okay, whatever. I come from Phoenix. Pizza Bianco is the best pizza in the country. I was all ready to be like not that impressed by this pizza and it was the best pizza of my life. Really? It was, yeah. And it's actually funny because what he does is actually really similar to like kind of the the thought process that Chris Bianco brings to pizza of like, I'm going to make pizza, but I'm only going to use local ingredients. It's basically what the chef does. Like he, he uses like mozzarella bufala from like the mountain towns below this restaurant and uses like the local tomatoes and uses the lemon zest from the local lemons. And like, it was totally mind blowing. So, you know, next time you're in, in Naples, you know, people listening to the podcast swing by Pepe and granny, Pepe and granny, Pepe and granny. I like that. That's the one nice <laughs> thing about pizza. It's kind of a blank slate when you start. It's just, here's the bread and we'll go from there. And if you, here's the toast. Yeah. Toast. Here's the toast. <laughs> Hashtag pizza is toast. Yes. 
you know what? I'm on board because it's true. The more you talk about it, I think I'm on. I think I'm on board yeah. too yeah. now. Right. So it's the best toast ever. It's toast. and the only and then your base. You know the thing that kind of builds it. The backbone of it is obviously your sauce, and then from there it's all the little things you had. You throw on prosciutto, maybe do a little capicola, oh. some arugula, spinach, pepperoni. Leave it blank and just let your sauce speak for it. Whatever cheese you're getting from the region is amazing. See, I'm but if you make p- it an inch thick. You are a terrible garbage person. <laughs> I'm a purist when it comes to pizza. I mean, tomato sauce, cheese, basil. Good, good toast. You notice silence on. <laughs> yeah, we both were like, ah. Oh. I don't need all the other fancy stuff. <laughs> when I go to Bianco's, I get I get the margarita every time. Like when I, I go do to, love that. I, I also I think it's a good thing to have. Have you been at Grazie? I have. And it's been cra- a long I like, time. I like having Kraft 64 and Grazie right next door to each other, especially because yeah, I can't perfect. ever understand what he's saying to me half the time. <laughs> But, uh, dude, his pizza is really, They're really good. good. And he makes some really cool, unique styles. Like, he just throws certain things. Like, he had a fig, prosciutto, like, homemade mozzarella, and I think it was, like, arugula or something on there. It was a fantastic pizza, but it's so weird to eat that because that's not what people expect. When they come out of town, yeah. I take them there. They're expecting, you know, mozzarella and tomatoes and basil, and that's it. He actually gets uh, the best burrata in this town. Really? Yeah, he has a flown in like every other day. <laughs> like awesome. his his burrata is the closest I've ever had to Italy. Yeah, I believe that. Is it from America or is he ever flown in from Italy? It's from Italy. Oh, okay. Well, that helps. But most of the time, even people that say it's imported, it doesn't taste the same. Yeah. Like, it's it's imported from a massive facility that makes it in another country. And it tastes like almost like a ricotta stuffed mozzarella ball. It doesn't actually taste <laughs> Such like... Such a good description, actually. It doesn't taste like mozzarella at that point. Yeah. Or it tastes like burrata to My me. My brain is clicking over like, wow, that's some weird it's flavor. Like but it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird consistency, too, the way they have it in America a lot. Yeah. What was your favorite style of dish? Or did you like, like the seafood, the pizza? So did you have like a pasta dish that just blew your mind? I did. I, so I had a, so, and this is like, I'm actually really sad about it, but I, I was in Rome and, uh, I stayed at this Airbnb in like the, in like by the Trevi fountain in the theater district. And one night my friend that I went to Italy with, we were like wandering around that neighborhood and we came across this restaurant, kind of a tangent. We were walking around. Go we thought it. we thought that we were waiting till the appropriate time to have dinner because it was like seven thirty. Oh, that's so not appropriate I, at all. We learned that. So, You're so an hour we're, and a half too early. <laughs> yeah. So we're walking through this neighborhood. <laughs> like a lot of restaurants are closed. It was a, it was like a Sunday night or a Monday night, and so we were like, maybe there's just a lot of restaurants closed on Monday. That's not uncommon in the U.S. Um, but we walked by this restaurant that looked really cute inside, um, and it had like a it had been listed on the Michelin guide. It had the stickers saying like two thousand and seven and eight and nine, and so we were like, this place has got to be good. So we walk in, and like the lights are on, tables are set, no one in the restaurant, and so we're kind of like, uh, hello, and like the manager comes out, and he like realizes we're American and he's like, can I help you? And we're like, we're, you know, we have two and he's like, Oh, and like, he's very flustered and a little bit annoyed. And we're kind of like looking at each other like, what the heck is going on? Then we like, so then finally the server, like 20 minutes later comes over and is like, are you ready to order? And we're like, dude, do they, are they, do they hate us? Cause we're American. We're so confused. Anyway, Later in the trip, we realized 7.30 is like when restaurants open. That's like a, the equivalent of like showing up at a restaurant at yeah. 4.45 right. guys, US. You guys are the people who like when the doors are open, you're right there waiting. Yeah, like, and we're hmm. like, we want four courses. Yeah, so, and also in Italy, like if they open at 7.30, that means they like are kind of open, but you like You can have a really drink set, yeah. and hang out. <laughs> so like we were, re- and so now looking back, I'm like, oh wow, that was like kind of a faux pas. But I had like a, a spaghetti with olive oil and garlic. That was the best pasta I've had in my life ever. But 
I didn't follow my, what I usually do and take photos of the menu because I was trying to live in the moment. How hard is that Smart. now? Especially now it's, as, as but I'm never, a food I don't writer. know the name of the restaurant. I can never go back. <laughs> but you have the memories and the memories are strong because you actually paid attention and it's enjoyed true. it instead of I, spending yeah. time on your phone and taking pictures and looking to see if you have upvotes or likes or hearts That's or anything true. like that. That's and how, how weird is that a little bit? Because... The, my best memories have come from places that we were in Naples or Nice or eating. And I can, I, in my, if I close my eyes, I can picture the wall, you know, the lady who made the food and everything. I have no pictures of anything. I have it in my head and it's kind of nice. I get to describe it to somebody. So maybe one day when we're all 70 years old, you come up and go, I ate there too. I finally got it. But nowadays, like you were saying, like, you know, you take a picture of the food, you take a picture of the restaurant and you promote it everywhere. Yeah. And then you didn't have that moment where you just sat down, ate, and had a drink. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times we have great wines and I'm taking pictures of it to remember it. But some of our best ones were the ones we didn't take pictures of yeah. because we just enjoyed, enjoyed the company yeah. and the wine and the food. That's true. So did you actually order bottles of wine or were you just getting carafes while you were there? Oh like regional God. stuff? Like what was bottles. your... First of all, if you're not ordering cheap. bottles... Yes. If you're not ordering bottles of wine in Italy, you're... A damn fool because yeah. they're so cheap why are they so cheap and their glasses are really small <laughs> yeah it's hilarious I, and actually one of my favorite things about italy is that they don't have open container laws so like literally this whole that whole trip like people were people always say oh the, the wine is cheaper than water in italy no the the wine is actually cheaper than water mm -hmm. because yeah, like a bottled fantastic. water is like three euros and you can get like a little like a half bottle of wine for like 250 euros and it's just like uh i'm drinking the wine yes yeah the three euro carafes yeah it's crazy yeah it was I, so we did we did a lot of bottles only problem was the person i went with also didn't speak italian so there was a lot of there was a lot of guessing happening we did a lot of <laughs> hey house wine and just whatever yes yeah or like just what give us whatever you think is going to go with what we're eating the yeah. house wine tends to be great out there though which is nice yeah and i actually had a really interesting conversation with our tour guide when we went to chianti he was because we were like well what kind of wine do you drink and he was like uh telling us that i guess uh people that live in italy you can go to places and basically like you know how we bring big gallon things and fill it up with water they do that with wine. Yep, I've told I've told, I've told Don about these stories. <laughs> yeah, of he was like, like, "Yeah, I just gas stations, yeah, for yeah. wine." Yeah, basically, that's what he, he was like. Yeah, we have like a place that you go and like it's it's like a house a house wine, and you fill up a big thing, and you that's what you drink, drink at home. Yeah, we've we've had this running joke for a while where Damien told me about the man who brought a five gallon gas tank yeah. to a place and they just filled it up with wine. Yes, that's literally what they yeah. do. Which made me feel better about the fact that like um, I I'm uh, totally buy those box wines and I was like, this is basically what they do in Italy. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's <laughs> God, I love this country. <laughs> the, the, the cardboard. The cardboard. -o. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> they're not. Did you just bad. make that up? No, oh, I've heard that before. That's <laughs> going down. Uh, yeah. So, but the bulk wines over there are so drinkable. They're oh so you don't even think twice, and you're never hungover. You drink all day long. You no. wake up the next day, you feel fine. Yeah, actually, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I did, I wasn't hungover at all. But Tired, is it maybe, because you've no. been a drinking all day, or b you're drinking so late at night you don't even get a hangover? Because the time you wake up, you're still you're walking, you're eating, you're drinking. The wines are less tannic. There's they're just crafted a little different. I think that I don't know, yeah. man. This one that we're having right now is oh my god, it's got some tannic. I don't to know it. what this is. Here. Sign me up. I don't know which Damien, one. Talk, I don't even know which one you're drinking. Damien, there. Talk you have about two the, the Brico. I gotta. 
Okay. Come back so bad out of nowhere. That coffee is so hard. <laughs> Bye. So, so you were in Tuscany. Now, Tuscany is mostly Sangiovese. Yes, they and taught me about the king. The king grape. That's though. their grape. That's yes. what Italy is known for. Every country has their grape. That's like their flagship. Mm-hmm. You know, Tempranillo in Spain. You know, it, when it's Italy, it's all about Sangiovese. And I, so I have. I mean, I've, I'm somewhat familiar. I, I grew up in Northern California. I grew up going to Napa. My parents are really into wine, and so I'm not like totally. You know. I, I can talk. I can talk one. Yeah, I can bullshit. You've some sat. Wine. A, you sat around with John and I for hours <laughs> yeah. before. Like, um, but Sangiovese to me, like when, it, like, and maybe I'm just totally wrong. But like when you tell me, like, okay, this is a Sangiovese, I'm picturing like a very, um, like a medium-bodied wine that, like, the color of it's kind of like a a bright red. I don't know. And that's not what Chianti is. Well, Am I crazy? There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of different styles of Sangiovese and the way it's done. Mm-hmm. It can be light. It can be fruity. It can be done in Rosé styles even. Mind blown. And then other times they blend it with Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot and they make super Tuscans, which drink very closely to your American Cabernets. Okay. Hmm. You could, you could put a super Tuscan next to a big California wine and some people might have a trouble picking it out. I would definitely would. <laughs> but, but it's also the grape that's used in Brunello, which is one of the most expensive wines made in Italy. It's one of the most oh. iconic wines of Italy. I think there's like 230 Brunello licenses. That's it. That's all. They're not, they stopped giving them out. It's like liquor license in Arizona. That's like, it. But You're that's, done. That's it. <laughs> Somebody has to go out of business or you have to use their license or partner with them to make Brunello now. And it has to be... You know, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I was like, oh, you didn't hear that. Now it's just weird. <laughs> we just got to murder. It's fine. Oh, it's, it's fine. Okay. We're, we're talking about the purge. It's Italian version. <laughs> so uh, so we're t- uh, just an evening in Italy sometimes. <laughs> well, so Sangiovese can be used for 10 or 12 of the most iconic wines in Italy, but also the regional wines. If you were in Tuscany drinking carafes of something it was probably Sangiovese yeah but I mean if, I don't know I don't speak Italian but, <laughs> if, but if you go up to Milan and you get carafes of something it's not going to be Sangiovese because mm-hmm. they grow something very different up there um, each region kind of has its own thing like they don't grow much Sangio in uh, Naples yeah, I, I didn't really have any wine down there well or I mean I was in Amalfi I was going to say so we had limoncello so That's I do like that about that in, in Naples is every single place that we ate at they immediately just come out the end of the night and here's like a glass of limoncello. Yeah. And it was so good. It was actually like fresh. It was not holy crap sugary. Like yeah. I've tried making limoncello. You've had my holy crap orange. Just, I made an orange cello that got left in the back of like a cabinet for a couple of years. And it's it just was ever clear with orange. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so so the, and it was so good down there. The Sorrento lemons, the lemons they use to make the, the limoncello. The football lemons. Yeah. They are the same lemons we grow here in Arizona. They are. What? And that's actually what I, that, so I was in Italy during the winter time and that is their citrus season. And I was like, uh. I'm from Arizona. These look familiar. We also have citrus. Uh, but I actually did have an experience of like being in Italy, being in Amalfi, having a pasta dish that had lemon zest on top. And it was like, it was like that thing where people are like, my eyes were open to like, oh, this is what this thing is supposed to taste like. Because I feel like a lot of the time lemon zest, if you're using a shitty Safeway lemon is like, you think of it as like, it's for decoration. Cause it's not yeah. adding any fragrance. It's not really adding that much flavor. 
Um, and I had this pasta dish that just had lemon zest on top. And I was like, it was like someone was like blowing a fan of lemon scent over so my dish. aromatic <laughs> yeah. and like just the like oils in it, yeah. the acid that's in it. It totally was like a truffle. Yeah. Which also I had, uh, I had real truffle oil when I was in Tuscany and I also, my, I brought some back cause I was like. I was my roommate. I gave it to my roommate and I was like, you need to know what truffle is supposed to or, be. Or truffle oil. The truffle stuff, oil. The, what Real we get here oil. in America is not truffle oil. In fact, no. most of Italians won't dine at a restaurant that has American truffle oil served because you can smell it. Yeah. If somebody goes by, you know, tr- truffle fries. Right. Truffle fries. If somebody goes by with truffle fries, most Italians will turn their stomachs. They'll well, actually like lose our, their appetite. Too, our Parmesan so cheese. Stronger. And it's yeah. fake. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like our fake Parmesan cheese, basically. Yeah. Like, it's not real Parmesan also cheese. fake olive oil is an issue. Yeah, but that, but that's... How much olive oil did you bring back? But wait, hold on. That's an Italian problem. Any. Like, that's the Italian selling us... Shitty. Not real yeah. olive oil. So so we used to tell our people when we brought them to Italy, we gave them a list of like rules or guidelines. And right. one of the guidelines we always said was bring disposable clothes. And people would laugh. They're like, what do you mean by disposable clothes? I said, when you're over there, you're going to want to bring stuff back. Yeah. You're going to bring a lot of clothes over there, but you're going to want to buy olive oils. You're going to buy limoncellos, other things. Yeah. You want to put in your bag. You're going to realize you can't necessarily fit it in your bag. So when you go to Italy, bring old Underwear, bring old socks, bring old things. So at the end of your trip, if you leave a couple things behind to bring an extra bottle of olive oil, it's worth it. I know. I wish I had. So I was, I did the opposite of that. And I brought (laughs) all your your nice. Well, I brought all my nice. So actually this. Oh, she went shopping for shoes there. So the trip started (laughs) off really rough, actually. Real good leather, probably. And I didn't even bring any leather. uh, Basically, I packed, I brought my backpacking backpack because we were riding on trains and walking to Airbnbs. And so I was like, I want to be mobile. Um, And then the airline lost our bags on the way out. So I had to buy clothes. And then, and I didn't buy anything nice, but like, it was that, it was like, okay, I just spent 50 euros on these clothes. I'm not going to immediately now leave them in Italy. So I brought back like a bunch of stupid clothes I didn't want and no olive oil. And it was, it was dumb. I brought back like a small thing of truffle oil, which I gave to my roommate so I could still use it. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a smart present. That's like yeah. why I give Damien wine or my dad wine. Cause I'm going to drink it with you. Yeah. <laughs> I used to bring back so much olive oil. I mean, I have. 12, 14, 18 bottles in my bag yeah. when I came back. It, it is really different. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought I had had good olive oil before. And and I really always preferred, like I've done olive oil tastings and I always preferred like really peppery, like te- like usually it's a Spanish olive oil that's very, got a lot of pepper notes and it's it's a really bold flavor. And then when I was in Tuscany, I, was, I did some olive oil tasting there and I was like, oh, this is like floral. And like it was... It tastes fresh, actually, is the best way to describe yep. it. It tastes yeah. like fresh olives. <laughs> here's the here's the crazy thing about Italy, too, is that as you go around the country, the olive oils take on characteristics from each region. So Tuscan uh, olive... That's called terroir. I don't know if you know. <laughs> uh, first off, it's terroir. That's it. I'm done. Podcast over. <laughs> We're out. Let, let me school Finish. you. We're ended on that. <laughs> Extra, outro music. <laughs> but okay, it's so sorry. true, like... The, the olive oils you get in Piedmont are so different than olive oils from Veneto, from Tuscany. Like, yeah. I mean, the ones in Tuscany tend to be a little more bolder and richer. Um, <laughs> ones tend to be a little more peppery. Like oh, Anything with pepper, sign me up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Peppery I'm just... wines, peppery white wines, 
Yes. So Ooh. in that case, what do you think of this Doliani or the Is, purple poteet? The I'm middle one. Drinking this one. Yeah, that because that one, this one's got a peppery taste to me. So we're drinking the Pecanino Bricoboti from Doliani. Hey, so, I knew. I at least he, I know for a fact I'm yeah. saying that. You did right. say that perfect. Yeah. So so That's one because Orlando actually came out here, and you actually had dinner with him with me, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. So this, by the way, we had dinner with the guy who made this wine. So the guy who makes this was actually the president of the Consorzio de Barolo. Oh. And Doliani is a region in Piedmont that's known for Dolcetto. Mm-hmm. So have you heard of Dolcetto the Grape? No. It, it, <laughs> it, Sorry. So, so, but you know Barolo? Yeah, yes. So this is the region that grows Nebbiolo and Barolo. Okay. And they grow another grape called Dolcetto and Barbera are the two other grapes that they grow. I am familiar with the Barbera. So if you, if you, you know, have a little too much to drink and you forget what row is which row, mm-hmm. and you pick the grapes, the grape that tastes the sweetest is typically your Dolcetto. That's like why... Like Dolce. It tri- Boom. Bam. Look at you. You got an you Italian. You told me I'm right Italian. <laughs> I noticed she hasn't moved her hands a lot yet. She's still, uh, she's got to get French, there. So I could get the, like, I can't do it, but I can do the French accent. But so <laughs> we could all do French accents. <laughs> Just got to have a few drinks it's first. True. So in Italy, they had the little bands, the DOCG bands. I learned about those. So Dolcetto has one DOCG, and it's in this area called Doliani. Mm-hmm. So by law, if they put Doliani on the bottle, it has to be 100% Dolcetto grape. Oh wow! So this is a this is a this is a Doliani. So it's all Dolcetto, and this is one of the only producers that oaks Dolcetto. I've only seen two. I've heard there's three that are doing it. Huh. It's a wine that you want fresh and fruity and bright. Typically, yeah. This guy grows the best Dolcetto on the planet, and he does a limited bottling only on the best years of an oaked version. And this is for me. It's one of my most special wines in the back. It's just oh kind my of God. and you're sharing fun. it with me. Yeah, yes, that's, that's what we Guys. do on this. We we drink the best stuff. Hell yeah. It's, and his name is Orlando Pecanino. He makes a little bit of Barolo and he makes mostly Dolcettos. I mean, this guy is like the godfather of Dolcetto. Yeah. I mean, because nobody's such a cool dude, too. And nobody like Oak ages this wine, but he does a year or two. Actually, last time we were at his vineyard, he was devastated because he lost half the vineyard to Hale. Oh, no. Hale came in and devastated the vines so bad he had to uh, crop the top of the vines off. So when you looked at his vineyards, they were all little half vines. Aww. And he was going to miss a whole vintage while it was regrowing. Poor baby. Damn, that's like, what was that recently? It was four years ago. Okay. We were out there. So he's probably back up to standards now. I mean, imagine losing your whole vintage. Like, that's. No, that's like huge. That's, that's lo- imagine losing a year of salary. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you still got to yeah. work. And you still have to work for free all year. Yeah, that's true. That's what, they, that's what you go through I with this. do that. Uh, I, li- I love this. I actually. Okay, I'm going to throw out some words. Maybe Do I'm it. off. Who knows? I'm getting on the nose, guys. Mm, okay. Getting yeah. some grassy notes, personally speaking. Maybe I'm Wait, off. put your pinky up too as you do it. My, okay, my By hands way, are hand so small. I, can, I have to hold the <laughs> glass with my all five fingers just so everyone who cannot see what's happening. I try to put my pinky up. The glass is unstable <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I love this wine, because It's like the fruitiness is like really nice. You get like the oak isn't overpowering by any means, but Mm-mm. it's such a good quality, easy drinking wine. This is this is the best thing about Italy, and I imagine it's the same for France as well. I'm not knocking France. I like Italian better. It's the most food friendly wine on the planet. It's so regionally well done. Like you could be in Naples and drink the local town wine, and it's amazing. 
And then you could go up to, uh, you know, if at the time ever comes, you go to Venice and you're drinking the wines there. It fits perfectly. Same thing in Barolo, Piedmont, down to Puglia, Sicily. It doesn't matter. It's well fitted for the region because they've been doing it for so long. Question for you guys, because I don't know the answer. Uh, in, in Italy, is like wine pairings a thing the way it is here? Because I, I was going to say, no. I would imagine you don't have to do that because the food just goes with the wine that's made where the food was made. You yeah, know, it's not. Right? One thing I did when I got in the Italian wine business, I did a regional pairing with different restaurants around town. Mm -hmm. So I did a, a Veneto tasting with Veneto wines and Veneto cuisine. Yeah. And then some like the, um, two, three weeks later, I did a Piedmont tasting with Piedmont wines and Pied and kind of did it with different restaurants. Did one with Crudo, yeah. did one with Chris Bianco, did one with the local, McKinley. R.I.P. Yes. Uh, the pig ears, though. <sighs> Just yeah. give me the pig ears. Keep everything else. Yeah, the bond me. May, well, uh, Was maybe, that a pig maybe ear the, bond me? Yes. See? And the luge. I, I want the luge. The bone marrow luge. Is that... For who, who came up with bone marrow luges? Because, man... I, Not Brandon, a sober person. Brandon... <laughs> yeah. Brandon Casey. Brandon Casey was the first Damn one. Damn Brandon. He, he literally grabbed me. He's like, you're going to do this. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is usually not good when you say that. And he hands me a bone marrow and he just pours Jaeger. I think it was Jaeger. Yeah, it was Jaeger. No, Fernet. Fernet. I'm sorry. No, Fernet. it was Jaeger at the time. I, I was sorry. had it with No, because they had Fernet on top. Maybe. Either way, I was... It was so good. And I'm like, anyway. this is the most American thing, possibly. Maybe. I it's don't know. It's so over the top. But I, I, okay. I, 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 we're so off topic. I, I don't, I, I mean, <laughs> don't worry that a, a, a wine dinner in Italy, that's called Tuesday dining at a right. restaurant. There's yeah. not something, you're not trying to recreate the local cuisine because you live there. Yeah. You know, so it's wine is treated very differently in Italy than it is in America. Over it's there. It's like a commodity. There. It's a con, it's a condiment. It's kind of, yeah, that's a good word. It's a commodity it. here where and people just want it for the money's sake. So, I see. Okay. So, Lauren, Maybe the way I don't know what a commodity is. No, well, well, the, the, <laughs> trade it for money. Keep moving. The, the, the way I see it is every restaurant you go into in America, it'll have salt and pepper on a table. Depending on where you're at, there might be ketchup and mustard. Mm -hmm. There might be some other condiment on the table. Maybe some malt vinegar if there's uh, fish and chips being served. I hope there in, is. In Italy, <laughs> there's only two condiments that are on every single table. Well, olive, olive oil and wine. That's it. Yeah, those are the best two condiments. You don't need salt and pepper. You don't need... All yeah. you need is olive oil and a bottle of wine, and you're good. And it pairs with everything. And that's that's Tuesday lunch. Yeah. Yeah, I... I so I uh, speak French. I minored in French. I studied abroad in France when I was, like, 15 turning 16. So I, like, love France. But, uh, damn, I... I Really loved Italy. And I was like so set to not like Italy as much as I love France. Um, but. So we talked about it earlier, but what was your biggest complaint about Italy? Did we talk about this? Did I tell you? It about may have been the bread. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, actually. Okay. So I was, I what I said about that, that was that I love Tuscany. I loved Tuscany. I loved, I loved Florence. I would like go back to Florence in a heartbeat. I would spend a week in Tuscany. Uh, their bread is complete bullshit. Who, <laughs> who in the, their damn mind was like, mm, let me make a giant, beautiful loaf of crusty white bread with no salt. This is a monstrosity. The first restaurant I went to in Florence where they gave me a basket full of bread and I was starving and I was so excited to jump into this basket of bread <laughs> and I took one bite and I was like, uh, this bread tastes like bland, nothing. It's cardboard. Yes. And I was like, that's this, this restaurant must have bad bread. And then it like happened again and again. And finally, um, when I was doing the olive oil tasting, the guy doing the tasting was like, oh, it's on uh, this, the olive oil is on a piece of our Tuscan bread, which is made without salt because 
our bread is made to be eaten with olive oil and we want you to taste olive oil. And I was like, okay, I see your logic, but also now you just have shitty bread. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm not about that. Yeah. I'm a, uh, but they got good toast. I need, I need, yeah. <laughs> but their toast is delicious. That's yeah. They, but, they should, but, instead of giving people jam for their toast, just give like marinara just, sauce. You dude. can just put on your oh, bread and scrape and it across. Speaking of marinara, I actually, so I, uh, when I went to Amalfi, I had this driver. So I had booked a, a small group tour. So this guy shows up in this bus for like six people. <laughs> really nice, like, uh, not a bus. It was like one, a big van, like a, one of those nice Mercedes passenger vans. And uh, he's like, his name was, oh, God. His Hold name on, was, let's do this. Oh, his name was Elvis. <laughs> Did his, not expect that. Yeah. Wow, that was not what I was going to go I with. Know, I, was, I was like, his name was something I was that ready I, for I like don't remember. Giuseppe or Pepe. No, or he was this uh, Vinny guy. or Tony. He had been in Naples for like nine years, but he was born somewhere in Africa. And he was his, it was an uh, African-American guy living in Naples named Elvis. So I remember. Did, wait, wait, <laughs> hold on. Did you just say an African-American Sorry. in Italy? <laughs> he was an African. <laughs> Is he technically African-Italian? <laughs> he was an African-Italian <laughs> Italian gentleman Italy. named Elvis. Shout out Elvis. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> that was so bad. Way to call her out. Uh, well done, well done. The I point, can it. I have a correction? Uh, the point is that he, we, he, Named there was Elvis. nobody so else great. ended up in this tour because it was off season. So it was, he basically was our private driver to, for the day in Amalfi. And he also, uh, sometimes drives people to pizza classes. And then because he's the driver sits through these pizza classes, he's like, yeah, I know a lot about pizza. Cause I've sat through like a bajillion pizza <laughs> classes. And so he was telling us, he gave us his dough recipe. He was like telling us all about how the history of why, Mar- why marinara pizza is called marinara, which basically has to do with the fact that the Naples is on the coast. The guy who invented marinara pizza was making it for um, people that were fish, people like fishermen basically who were called uh, Marinaro or something Mariner. Like, like, so, like Mar- yeah, Mar- Mariner. Mariner. Yeah. So, yeah. so, Holy so, crap. That, that all ties together. That's yeah. So that was cool. And then, so then, uh, you know, I go, Oh, uh, so do you guys put marinara on, on your pasta? And he was like, He's like, no, no, marinara is a pizza. I was like, no, right. Yeah, got you marinara pizza with you. But in America, we think we, of it it's a sauce you put on your pasta. And he was like, he could not stop laughing. Like he was mind blown. He was like, he like, he, he was like, get I over had, it? yeah, he was like, that's hilarious. Like, what are you talking about? Like that's it, like us thinking like if somebody was in French, go, oh yeah, we've got a ketchup burger, and you're like, oh, you put ketchup on the burger. No, it is ketchup, but in America yeah. we use it as a condiment. Yeah, right. Oh, there's more like a bolognese or uh, right. bolognese. Yeah. He was like dumbfounded that I was like, no, no, that's we take hilarious. a tomato sauce and put it just it's called marinara sauce. You, you can eat put it on, on spaghetti. You could like yeah. bread in it. Yeah, like you order hungry howies with marinara sauce. Right. <laughs> yeah. You get it with your breadsticks. Yeah. He was like, uh, that's hilarious. Like he thought I was. He thought I. It was. He thought you were crazy. Well, I also told him like, oh, we put like we put everything on pizza we put like we'll put you know baked potato toppings on pizza we put it all on pizza and he was like he was like that's not pizza. you know what he, yeah you know he what was I, like that is not pizza. you know what i love about <laughs> this whole thing is that for as long as i've known you which has been like nine years yeah, now a long time you and i used to go to jack in the box at like two three in the morning oh, get mozzarella sticks and, <laughs> and eat garbage we would eat garbage food all the time and be oh happy and now here gosh. she is like a wine writer or excuse me food writer for all these things be like oh well this is why we do this and do we this we all grow up a little bit mozzarella sticks inside of jack in the box tacos it was so good that shit's delicious there's nothing better than a 
Jack in the Box taco <laughs> with the mozzarella stick and the marinara on there at three in the morning. Step one, get really drunk. Though. El- I will say that. Elvis, oh, obviously. If, <laughs> Elvis, if you're listening. <laughs> Why He's are like, you alive? I you were supposed to be dead. And marinara. And <laughs> 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 That's such a good point. Meanwhile, Jack in the Box uh, one day is going to put a new munch box out at three in the morning for everybody who's baked out of their mind and be like, well, just take your mozzarella stuff and put it in the uh, tofu ta- tacos. <laughs> yeah. We d- I have eaten a lot of Jack in the Box tacos in my life. We lived True on that corner where there was nothing story. but, you know. There was a time crap. where the overnight drive-through person at Jack in the Box knew my name. Yeah. Yeah. Recognize my car. <laughs> <laughs> we always thought it was screwed up that the Taco Bell in Tempe had uh, a cop that would actually hang out in the drive-through on Friday and Saturday <gasps> nights. That's messed he'd, up. He'd stand there and like wave to cars as they were coming through and like look for people with glazed over eyes and you're say like, hi listen, to him. You gotta, you I'm have trying to, wave to sober back. up. No, you got to wave back. Otherwise, if you try to hide yourself, you're like, oh, you're guilty. Yeah, two o'clock in the morning, all the time, there'd be a cop out there in the drive-thru just saying hi to people. I imagine the cops in Italy are sitting out there like, well, it's two in the it's two in the morning, so everybody's finishing up dinner. We might as well let them get home anyway. Actually, cops are unique out there because there's gonna... three levels of them. Like, I'm sure you saw the... the... Well, there was a lot... Of, there was actually a really high... The person I was traveling with, like, went to West Point. is military background. And he was... He brought up that there's a very, uh, very noticeable military presence. Like, you walk around, and there's just, like, people with, like, automatic guns. Yeah, you saw chilling. That, But that's Europe for you that's in general. Europe. Okay. If, if, it was a little bit scary. Honestly, even last time I was in Paris, last time I was in Spain, there's a lot of saw people walking... Saw in Germany. Yeah. The, the average security guard had... As a bulletproof vest and an AK, you know, or like yeah. an M16, you know. It's yeah, not the like, Italian police have that white badge that comes across, but they've got their MP5 basically just yeah. hanging out. There's three levels of police there. There's like the local police, state police, and the the cabinieris, which right. are like the special forces, government police. Them, they were everywhere. Yeah, the the, the one guys are all in black with the black cars. Yeah, those are the ones you don't mess with. No, I don't mess with any of them. And and once I realized that they don't care about me drinking wine in the middle of the day out of a bottle, just straight out of the bottle, I was like, eh, whatever. That country is not sober in any way, shape, or form. Like, if you have a prime minister with a bunga bunga room and drinking all day long, they're definitely not caring about really much anything else. I'm pretty convinced that whole country has no actual business. Everybody makes food or makes wine. That's it. Or they work in the mafia. Like, that's that's... That's what they do in Italy at this point. We have issues with two political parties. They have 22 political parties over there. Imagine trying to get something done with 22 political parties fighting Uh, for power. Hi, we can't get anything done with the two. Two. I know. So (laughs) yeah. what what do you do if you're someone who lives in Italy? We're going to eat and drink and not care. You know what the best thing is? So wait, you said (laughs) you're in... That's what I'm doing here in America. You were in Florence, you said, right? I was. Okay, so I'm pretty sure it's in Florence that Fiorentina... I think it's Florence, yeah. So it's divided into four quarters of this city. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure this is Florence where it's done, but it's that uh, Coleccio. It's Murder Ball. It's literally the most violent game on the planet, and it's my goal to go see. This I did not play. (laughs) Yeah. So it's there's a there's they divide the place into four quarters, and this team gets together, and this team gets together, and what it is is a dirt pit. They all wear 1400s pants, no shirts. They're just like people who look like the mountain from Game of Thrones, they throw a ball out there and they beat the living shit out of each other and try to score goals on the other end. And the and the object of the game is to hurt the other opponent so bad they leave so that it gives you an advantage to score a goal on the other end. And this is in, uh, it's Fiorentina. Is that? That's Florence. I don't even know. It's Florence. But I, yeah. I think no, Florence I, is Forense. Forense. So yeah. But I think that if something is, is from Firenze, it is Florentine. I think. 
I mean, well, in that region, the oh, most famous the, the most famous sport is the horse race in Siena, the Palio. Yeah, yes. Like the Palio is a famous race around the town square. There's like 14 families that race it every year. And they've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's a lot of political intrigue where one family will actually make a deal with another family where they'll sabotage the guy that's who's so going to win. Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so he will, yeah, he, that's about he'll right. say, my horse sucks. I know I'm not going to win, but I'll make sure I bang into this guy. Yeah. Make sure you give me a bottle of wine from your family's vineyard and I'll bang it to him and make sure he doesn't win. Yeah. But when whatever family wins, they take that horse and they go to the, the first thing it does, it goes to the graveyard of the previous of the family members that ran the polio beforehand. And they have the horse walk across the grave sites of, of the previous of the family members so they can feel the power of the horse that just won the polio oh, and okay. it stays in the family and it stays um, it's a tribute. It's That's a good crazy. thing. It's okay. a good thing. I was like, can't just be walking across people's graves. No, no. It's it's <laughs> it, 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 totally if, if you were a jockey that won the polio back in eighteen hundreds, to have your family members walk that winning horse across your gravesite is a big honor. Right. It is Florence. Okay. It is Florence. Florence. Yeah. So yeah, murder ball in Florence. Also, I read that book. It's called The Hunger Games. Uh, it's a true story about, about the, the, but the polio. Yeah. yeah. No, yes. I, I'm kidding about oh. the Caliccio something something something. Uh, it's okay. one of my goals is to is to go to that someday. It's almost impossible to get near the town square. When this podcast is done, I'll show you some pictures of what yeah. it looks like. It is nuts. Like a million people packed into. A, a square the size of like uh, out front of like olive and ivy, like racing in a circle. I'm into that. <laughs> like it's so tiny. I love that we have something really fun like that in Old Town Scottsdale. That Grand Prix, the uh, the Scottsdale Grand Prix, we get the little tiny cores cars. That's a thing. Have you not seen? Oh, well, I'm going to tell you about okay. this one later. We're, we're going to bring this up going. another podcast. We're going to bring wine. But so like the best thing I loved about Italy was when we were over in uh, Genoa. They had a game, a soccer game. The team was playing. The town was shut down. Oh yeah, like I believe there that. was nothing going on, and every time you heard a goal, the whole town just erupted and cheered, and oh, that is so much fun to be around. And everybody's like, ah, oh, they're just drinking and eating, but, whatever. But if you want any business done, it's not happening. I've tried to well, hop a train okay. during a soccer game; it doesn't happen. Nope. They, they go oh. on strike from two to six o'clock. Okay, like, why? Why two to six? Soccer game's on. This is a great segue, because I was going to say, I want to talk shit about Italy for a second. <laughs> I actually it. have some shit I need to air. Excellent. Uh, all right. Loved Italy. and I, but, I, uh, but personally speaking, I think that the wonderful, one of the most wonderful things about Italy is also one of the most infuriating things about Italy that ultimately makes it a place where I could not live. And that is the fact. They're pliable time. <laughs> yes. They give no shits. About schedules, nope. about like, so they lost our bags. I'm not kidding you. They lost my bag in Rome and I go to the desk and I'm like, oh, my, de my bag didn't come. And the woman likes like, oh, what, what <laughs> we're on, checks it. And she just goes, yeah, you know, it looks like they lost it. That happens a lot. And I was like, what the <laughs> actual that fuck so, kind of answer that's is so that? Italian. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Italy, Italy has the most pliable relationship with time. They're yes. like, uh, so where do you need to be? Uh, we need to be there in 30 minutes. And they're like, like nah. Eh, yeah. We'll get there eventually. You, like, I remember sitting on the train. I got there. They were like, don't, you know, get there to the train on time. I get to the train. I'm sitting in my seat. And then they're like, they come over there. The trains are delayed. That's it. That's not it. not like not like <laughs> here's when they're gonna be delayed till here's why. Just the trains are delayed. Like they just they, they don't care. If you absolutely hate Italy, go to Japan. It's the exact opposite. opposite. <laughs> so, French is kind of opposite to French people have a lot of unspoken um, like social norms, and they're very they're a pretty uh, 
regimented society and uh and Italy on the upside I really didn't feel like there was any judgment from anyone they were very like a very warm people but also it's a, didn't give a shit it's a third world <laughs> nation in disguise of a first world nation yeah that's probably not a bad especially as you travel outside of the big cities I'm sure but you're right about them not caring about time, and they'll get to it when they get to it. Yeah, uh, not you, in a rush. You know, they they shut the whole country down pretty much the entire month of August. France does that too. Well, it's called yeah. it's literally called August shutdown. And if I asked them, I literally be a great movie. I asked <laughs> a winemaker. I said, I go, but your economy's shit. Like you have the worst unemployment rate pretty much through Europe. Like why would you shut down in August? And he's like, well, if it's bad in July, it's still going to be bad in September. (laughs) And that's what he said to me. I was like, good point. Like, but it is one of those things where you could be like the person who walks in at seven 30 at night and they look at you and go, they don't see a dollar coming across the table. They look and go, "Ugh, I was sitting back here enjoying my cappuccino and my glass of wine. And now you're interrupting me. Totally. I guess I'll deal with this eventually. Go to a cafe between two and three and they'll look at you like it's coffee break. Like I just, can I just get a coffee real quick? They're like, no. No. (laughs) Also we, uh, yeah, it's with them too. It's it's like, can I just get a drip? Just put the drip coffee in a cup. They're like, we don't have that. I was just like, damn it. You drink espresso. (laughs) Did you go through all the espresso you possibly could? Yes. And I, but also I'm just, I'm a big, like I love my coffee is like a part of my routine. I'm such, a routine person which is part of the reason why oh, like the italian fine. thing was hard for me for longer than nine days um and also when i came back i was like i want a venti did black you, coffee just did you try it. and order a cappuccino after like 10 a.m i did i 10 was a.m. or 10 p.m 10 a.m they'll look at you like you have a third eye uh, <laughs> cappuccinos <laughs> are for breakfast only They're, yeah you don't order them really? afternoon no yeah. you're they look at you like, like really you're dumb you're, a you're an idiot you're a t- I was so uh, That's true by the way. I never felt more like a tourist than when I was in Italy at times. And not like not like a weird like I got a lot of judgment I felt from France and but I felt French people's judgment is a uh, a little bit more superior to you oh, yeah. versus Italy's judgment is based upon just don't care. Yeah. Like we don't care to deal with whatever like your bullshit doesn't affect us in any way. We're just going to go about our lives and if we're inconveniencing you Fuck you. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. I'll worry about You're you when coffee break me. is done. Yes, totally. <laughs> I don't care about you in the meantime. Yeah. Although I will say another thing I noticed, which for me as like a, uh, if anyone doesn't know me, I am like five foot two. If I stand on my tiptoes, I'm really short. <laughs> uh, and in America, it would be really rude to walk up to a coffee bar and to be like, to like flag down the waiter and be like, hi, I'd like a coffee. And so I would sometimes go up to an espresso bar and like kind of stand there and wait for them to acknowledge me. Not a thing. Never. You, not a thing. They no, will you, just ignore the fuck out of you. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? The rudest people in Italy ended up in New York. So you got to take everything from New York, <laughs> yeah. dumb it down a little and use it in Italy. That's a good point. But yeah, you you do have to, you, you have, have to, to like, ask for you got to be interrupt. You, and I was so uncomfortable. It's doing why that. in our jeans, we move our hands a lot because you need people to know, like, hey, well, me, over me, here. Me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't even snap yeah. my fingers. It's more of like, uh, like, yeah. dramatic hand gestures and screaming <laughs> and yelling and like you know the two hand shake is it's so it's big event that happened <laughs> and the one hand thing is pay a little bit of attention to me yeah, yeah. So you have to ask for a check there yeah they will never bring just, one yeah they're not if you don't sit there if you you'll sit there at a restaurant and if unless you flag the waiter down they're never going to come back to your table yeah it was it felt i was very uncomfortable also i was really uncomfortable trying to pronounce things in italian so there was one time where my, the person i was with I was like you want to order and i was like i got this and then i pointed the whole <laughs> order and he just looks at me and goes 
Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never know. I'm Listen, I speak English. You're ridiculous. <laughs> I was. I did it like we'll have this. And he was just like, what okay. the, what are you doing? What, over there, they'll give it, like, do you want the American menu? And they'll <laughs> yeah, bring right. you, like, a separate menu. Uh, like, it's yeah. actually written in English. That's why I, I'll go over there, and I don't look at any ingredients. I'm just like, you know what? This pasta. Just, like, yeah. I, 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 I yeah, the day. bolognese, the tagliatelle, and I know the my campanelli, and that's six it. Six or seven trigger words. Like, things I know. Chingale. Chingale is the wild boar. Po- polipo. Octopus. Yes. Uh, Carciofi. Artichoke. So there's like certain things that hey, if I see a pasta and I see carciofi, I'm like, okay, this is an artichoke dish. I like it, you know. Just like when it comes to tacos, I ain't getting tripa. <gasps> Did you I love tripa? Tripa. Nope. <laughs> you hate yeah. <laughs> you gonna hatred of that and uni. Yeah. What? I mean, I don't get along mm. with uni. I get along with just about everything. Me and Uni are not friends. I don't. I had to eat bugs at Devour. That was the first thing. I heard. Did so you then, see the video? So, so, then I didn't. <laughs> what? Then, so, Silvana, didn't she do it? <laughs> so, no, okay. You, talk about you that. guys, first of all. I'm glad she did it. Oh my gosh. So, first of all, the video is. I mean, I'm biased, is but that shit on is the funny. Internet right now? Uh, it's not, but I will show you guys <laughs> after, and then potentially I'm gonna have to put it on the internet because it's hilarious. But the <laughs> the highlights are that um, she tried. So I she had three different types of bugs. Silvana from Barrio Cafe had three different types of bugs that devour on Saturday. It was uh, an ant larva, ants, larva, and tequila worms, and they were all like roasted. They were crunchy, vaguely. Uh, and so she puts she, the first one she does like she's like this is ant larva and puts it in my hands and like my hands are shaking in the video and I go it's corn it's corn and I like shoot it like it's <laughs> like I'm like I'm taking a, some sort of and then I open mouth chew it like and uh, <laughs> and then I go and then I, <laughs> and I go uh, it tastes like uh, garlic and she's like oh I think there was just garlic and that 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 you that hope. those pieces have more so she puts more in my hands and I'm like. <laughs> What have I done to myself? Uh, and then, then uh, you know, I, and then so then she tries to hand me this tequila worm, and literally, she goes to hand it to me, and I do one of these and scream and jump back like she's trying to attack me, and I'm like ah, and then I go, it looks like a bug, and she was like, <laughs> it's a bug, and I was oh, just like. Yeah. Uh, By the way, this is our local she, food writer. <laughs> and, she, and anyway, she had to, she literally feeds it to me. There's a video and like, I go like, I, I go like this. I'm a grown adult and I open my mouth and I close my eyes and then I do the open mouth chew like this again. And then I was like, it's salty. So I, that's funny. Cause we were talking about that with Valentina from Nona. She came up to my table one Ugh. time cause I go there all the time so and she just puts down this plate of what looked like these little no, I, you know what? It doesn't even matter. They were crickets. And she just kind of smiles. She's like, so you got to eat these. And I'm like, what is that? And she goes, they're crickets without legs. And I'm like, oh, no. Jesus, no. And I did, I, it's funny. Now that I got the open mouth thing in my head, because I, I put them out there just like. Yeah, you do the like, ah, la, la. Like you put, <laughs> you fake smile while you eat something. So you're yeah. like, oh, it's really fucking good. You and try it, to it keep it like, off your tongue. Yeah. You're just like, <laughs> please don't get caught in my teeth. Yeah. Please don't in get my, caught yeah, in my teeth. It was in my <gasps> teeth. It was all over. Ironically, it tasted exactly like roasted almond. So I wasn't bad. But the problem was I couldn't get the fact that this thing was hopping Buzz, around my house. Right. And if I saw it hopping around my house, I would kill it. <laughs> also, yeah, I'm like truly afraid of like, so I always tell people like, remember Fear Factor, the show where yeah. they used to be like, lie in this coffin of bugs for 30 seconds and we'll give you a million dollars. I would have been like, keep your damn money. <laughs> Not about it. 
So, so what's the one dish that Lauren Saria does not like besides unsalted bread? Besides unsalted bread. Uh, okay, so I actually don't have like dishes I won't eat, but I have weird condiment things I don't like. So like I don't eat my ketchup or don't eat my french fries with ketchup. I don't like ketchup. Okay, really. but do you like Matt's big breakfast ketchup? Do you know what I'm talking about? I haven't had Matt's their ketchup. Matt's from Mother Brunch? No. No, Matt. no, Matt Poole. Oh. Does he make his own ketchup? Yeah. It's okay. the best ketchup I've ever had. It's okay, like, I'll have to try that. They have it at the restaurants. It's uh, homemade, no high fructose corn syrup, yeah. no additives. It doesn't taste like ketchup. Okay. See, I might I might like that. But like Heinz ketchup where it's like sweet and vinegary, mostly, yeah. don't love that. Um, so I don't like ketchup, which a lot of people think is weird. And I also don't like maple syrup. But it's, again, a situation where wait, if wait, it's like... like maple syrup or like fake syrup? So, yeah. So like maple... So like like a Aunt Jemima. A, Aunt Jemima, I would rather just eat my pancakes with butter. But if it's like, you know, like a... a Vermont. Yeah. Real then, real then okay. out of a tree syrup. Yeah. You're, not, so you're not a sweet syrupy. fan, it seems like. I'm not a sweet fan. And okay. And I also have a pet peeve of I don't like... Uh, I don't like fruit on my meat. So like, <laughs> so like pork... With like a mango, or like the example that I give a lot is like a pork, pork with an apricot glaze. Nah, eh, eh. What about with fish? Fish with a ch- mango chutney. Eh. All right. Eh. Really? Yeah. For all you restaurateurs out there, before she comes in, don't yeah. serve her. Yeah, but don't. she's not a critic. She's a writer. She's a writer. This is true. So when you go in, when you write, you walk in and go, hey, look, the restaurant looks cool. This is what they did. Your seating's fine. The food is amazing. Here's the person. Like you write the story of the restaurant. Yeah. You're not and doing the, you're not focusing on the food. Like, all right. So like, I got an example. So like Damien worked with Vias. He had the story of the winery and the family that did it. And then he sold the wine versus like, that's how he presented. He wasn't a critic saying, this is the wine. This is how it's made. And this is why I should be 95 fucking points. Like, right. Yeah. I'm not like, so the Republic does star starred reviews. So like, I'm never going to be giving out stars. You're giving the story of the yeah. restaurant. But sometimes we do do like miniature reviews that are, we call them like first looks. So it would be like this restaurant opened a month ago. It's not really fair to give it a review. Um, and sometimes I'll write those. Okay. I, I yeah. really appreciate that. People often want the feedback What's happened in the past, and I'll tell you, Seth Tell used to do this, is he'd go into a restaurant the month it opened, and he'd write a shitty review, yeah. and, and here this husband and wife just poured their life savings into this restaurant, opened up, he comes in on a Friday night when they might be struggling, it, the food might have been amazing the night before and the night after, and they struggle that night, and he throws them under the bus, people read that, and now that restaurant is struggling to fight that review. Yeah. And where you guys coming in and giving your first looks, you'll you'll give critical feedback, but you're not necessarily throwing anybody under the bus. No, and and typically those are more like, hey, we ate these five things. This one was really great. This one was okay. This one, don't order it when you come. And this is what we look forward to seeing in the future from yeah. them. And this is what the owner, what their vision was. Yeah, and- that is one thing I, I think people don't, and it's it's our fault being American. Like you know, we want instant gratification is we don't really give benefit of the doubt sometimes to restaurants to work on what they put out. Like I know a restaurant just opens up and they've worked on a plate, but sometimes it's still like an outline of what they want to do. Oh, totally. You know, like you need a, a good year for them to be like, okay, well this pasta just was so popular, but they didn't like this meat. Maybe we, instead of doing like shrimp, we do like scallops instead. And it takes a long time for a restaurant to hit a stride where they all of a sudden have dishes that work real well, especially now with everybody wanting to be, you know, whether it's organic or seasonal or whatever. But yeah, you get one person to come in and drop a review that's terrible. And then, 
what would have been a great restaurant a couple of years from now, all of a sudden is not just fighting, staying alive in a city, but now they're, they're eating off a review that crushed them a little bit. Well, well, I mean, I remember the owner of Atlas Bistro opened Twisted Restaurant, which was on the other side of AZ Wines, mm-hmm. and it was like their casual version. Seftel came in the month they opened and wrote a horrible review out for them, and they they were kind of being chased by that review for the next couple months. Yeah, Todd wrote him multiple letters saying, please come back in. Mm-hmm. I... I want you to take a look at what we're doing. We've changed so much since our third week open. Yeah. You know, we're figuring our shit out. Yeah, you know? not to mention. Sh- you, you you were opening in restaurants with Aaron Chamberlain. Oh, yeah. And you you hire 100 people <laughs> to keep 30. Right. Also, like, half of them are just not going to show up the second day. But, um, yeah, I mean, which is the labor <laughs> issue in restaurants is a whole different topic. Mm-hmm. But um, but you know, because you are, you understand. We've had two, what, three people on now that talked about labor issues. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's such a thing. Um, but what I was going to say is that, yeah, I, I think I feel a lot of pressure on both sides because on one hand, you know, I worked, I've worked for restaurants, I've worked in restaurants and I know that like you can have a line cook that has a off day or didn't get enough sleep and they screw up your whole service. And like every, all the food is off because that one person in your kitchen is having an off day and like, there's not like really the a lot you can do about it. Yeah. Um, so I get that. I truly understand like, you know, it, it's not fair to judge a restaurant on one visit. On the other side of that coin, uh, I've been like a person who saved up a lot of money to go to a restaurant that I've been looking forward to for months that I've heard wonderful things about and been really underwhelmed. And at the same time, there's a lot of pressure as a writer when you say this place is good. The last thing I want is for someone to read that, take my word at its face value and go and have a bad experience. So there's a lot of pressure on both sides. Cause it's like, I owe a lot. I feel like I owe a lot to our readers, um, to be accurate and give good information about, you know, restaurants that I think are good, but also, you know, you want to be fair to the, to the industry you cover. So I think you know that kind of, that it is a two sided coin to that. You have a family or somebody small trying to put out a restaurant and then all of a sudden you need to deliver too, but you have to deliver 365 days a year. Right, even yeah. if you take off vacation, 355 of those. And that means your chef has to be good enough to have a great sous chef and people under him doing it well. You know, in this city, because it's mostly tourists, you know, these people coming in for the very first time to drop, you know, 50, 60 bucks on a meal with their family, you better get the best service. But yeah. you're right, you're going to catch people on off days. And I think that's one thing sometimes that we don't appreciate as much with restaurants maybe a little more out here than some places, you know, you're the family restaurant in Italy. You've been in Florence, your great grandma made that dough recipe and then your grandma knew it. And now your mom knows it. And now you know it. So therefore you have three people who know how to make this one dish Mm -hmm. while the brother serves and your wife is now like the hostess moving around. Like it's a family built restaurant versus somebody comes in and tries to build a restaurant around their idea. And now they got to hire a hundred people to keep 30 and those 30 people don't care about their idea because they're thinking, Oh, two years from now, I'm going to have my own place. Yeah. Or be graduated from college and not be. Yeah. They walk out of the culinary Institute and go, I just graduated top my class. I'm better than everybody else versus actually being in the kitchen, learning how to make everything down perfectly and timing things up well and what goes well with what spice. Yeah. I mean, it could turn out to be one of the greatest restaurants around, but you reviewed it in the third week and they weren't there yet. Example, Mike Tyson wasn't a world champion on his first match. It took, yeah. after a few matches, 
three or, or it was like three fights and then eight fights for this championship. Right, but then he was a world champion. He became Mike Tyson. You're going to go into a restaurant and you're going to review it in its third week and make a decision if this is restaurant should make it or not. Like yeah. Michael Jordan wasn't Michael Jordan to his third ring. And even then, they still were like, well, he's good. In his first year, he wasn't Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. that's the thing is about these restaurants is just, I think you can give critical feedback without tearing them apart. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing with any criticism is that there's a, yeah, there's a way to do criticism that is fair and balanced, you know. A good criticism is, wow, your music is so loud, I can't talk to the person in front of me. Yeah. Like, uh, your place well, smells terrible because your sink's not, but like, even like putting your food menu together, like if I walk in, my criticism comes off of drinking. Versus like some people is like what they do with their food. You can have bad plates, hands down. But I would like to see people go in and do multiple reviews. Yes. Well, which and when the Republic hey, does first a review, take, they go take. three times. Before. Do they it's do three th- visits? See, perfect. Yeah, see, that's, I think review. that's so fair. I think that's yeah. great that you guys can go in. You take your, what do you call it? First look? First taste. Yeah. First taste. Yeah, first look. And then you go in, what, how often later on for that second one? Well, so for the, so like a first look, we'd go once. But but that, like I said, would be like a kind of just a brief overview. There's not a lot of criticism. Happy hour. Yeah. Or it's it's kind of try a little tra- small casual. Plates. Okay. A review, the full reviews, uh, our critic Dominic goes three times. So, and that's over, you know, a week, two weeks, um, depending on how long he has. And like, if it's a restaurant that does breakfast, lunch or brunch, lunch, dinner, hit every service. So, um, and trying different dishes. So like, you know, it's, it's a sample. You're, you're trying to get a sample of how the restaurant feels, how, because you're also reviewing, I mean, as much as when it comes to like being in the industry, we talk about the food, the food, the food. The bottom line is the most part of the the majority of people in the world care just as much about the ambience and the restaurant the and the vibe and the so atmosphere important. as the food. Yeah. So you do need to, I mean, aside from just wanting to get a good sense of whether or not the dishes are consistent, you need to know, you know, is it beautiful during the daytime and way too dark at night? You know, and it's like, or is the clientele different no, at brunch true. than th- it is at dinner? I think that's perfect. Cause yeah, cause it's not like you're just going for the food. You're going for everything. You're yeah. going for the entire experience of this restaurant. Cause there's some restaurants we've been to where you walk and go, wow, what a beautiful site. It's got an amazing view and the cocktails were perfect and the servers were amazing. Like there's 10 things that you got to kind of hit on. It's right. all good. I worked for a restaurant group that they drilled in their manager's head ambiance. It was lighting, music, temperature. Yeah. And that as a manager, you were responsible for that more than anything else. Yeah. And throughout the shift, the higher ups would be like, how's your music? How's the temperature? Got any lights out? Yeah. And, and it drilled it in my head to the point where every time I walk into a restaurant, if I see a light out, I know. There's that light in the back corner of the restaurant and it's yeah. not working. I'm like, there's a light out in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there are really, I mean, well, first of all, if you look at like huge chains like an Applebee's or a Chili's, part of the reason that they succeed is just it's a comfortable atmosphere. It's consistent food. Comfortable, consistent are Step huge. Step it up, Houston's. Oh, my. well, Houston's is doing everything right. But yeah, I mean, they the, don't. The restaurant I'm talking about, about is, is even Houston. Fox. Yeah, yeah. yeah Sam, well, and Sandbox, they uh, they clearly understand that building a good atmosphere is 50% of the battle. If you can build an atmosphere people like being in and just deliver consistently, even if you're delivering at a level that is maybe like a, a six or a seven out of 10, like you're doing really fucking good. Yeah. Because that's hard to do. And consistency, the consistency is the hardest thing to yeah, do in a restaurant. Consistency is super difficult. Houston's. Yeah. No, Houston's has a, Houston's fascinates me. They actually have a corporate office here in Phoenix. 
If anyone from Houston's is listening, I'd like to write about you. I I can set you up with them. I know know people very high up in their chain. I mean, wait, I gotta ask though is Houston's not an Arizona company? Uh, Northern California. George George Beale is a Napa guy. And that's one of the reasons why you find so many Napa wines for such a good price because the producers and him have such good relationships. They will give him wines for his wine lists cheaper than other places. That's why it helps having those people. You can go in there and get a glass of ZD, yeah, by the glass, cheaper than anywhere else in the country. Also, if you or if you go into Houston's on the Houston's on Camelback and like whatever that is, twenty second. Isn't that Grangestone or they call it now Hillstone? Hillstone. Hillstone. That's what I'm thinking of. That's the same company. It's the same company. Yeah, you go to that Hillstone on any night of the week, you will find somebody who owns a restaurant in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every restaurateur and chef eats at that restaurant. You you go <laughs> That's really funny. Go to the one on Scottsdale Road in July, the second week of July when every restaurant is dead Packed. and they're, and they're going to tell you it's a 35 minute wait. I'm sure. It, yeah, there I mean that is yeah, that's the that is the pinnacle of like consistency. consistency. And service. Yep. I actually know somebody who uh he's a great He's great in front of house. He's been a manager at like really great restaurants in Phoenix. He got hired there uh, as a server and couldn't finish the training because the training is like dead ass serious. They like, follow they, you around with the stopwatch. You have to greet a table in a certain amount of time. Oh yeah. And if, whether it's tests. your server, whether it's your server or not, not if, if there's a table that gets sat, somebody says hi within 30 seconds, no matter what, at those tables, they follow you around stopwatches. They are training. not playing around. Yeah. But, but huh. when it comes to people who know service, that is where they go. But one thing we were talking about with, uh, as Valentina and Colin is, uh, not Colin, um, Jason was service is one of those things where it really is kind of a backbone like your food is obviously what makes the structure of your restaurant but if you don't have good service it doesn't matter and this city doesn't have sometimes those servers that are dedicated dedicated to the job to give you the best service like i honestly like i'm i'm a good tipper because i worked in the restaurant i know how hard they work but when i have holy shit service like where the guy really comes up or like the girl comes up like man Listen, like, I'm glad you're ordering this bottle. Try this food. And they don't try to oversell me. They just try to give me the best meal. I will tip them like crazy because it's so rare for me sometimes to get that, like, where from start to finish, they were there at the table, making sure I was comfortable. They weren't interrupting at times. They were just, they knew how to treat me as if I was family of that restaurant. And it's rare. It's like, it's sadly rare here sometimes. It's funny. You can always talk about certain restaurants like service there is amazing service there is amazing there's other places where you're like fuck service there is always horrible yeah remember, I, have, I do have places where I'm like wow that service sucked but the food is so good there was a deli or like a sandwich shop near AZ88 for a long time mm. uh, kind of by Blue Moose yeah they used to do a tuna melt there that was unbelievable it oh was there for years and years and years. I haven't had years. a tuna melt in so long, first of all. Now I what was it. the name of this place? <laughs> Do they make a, a, like a, fresh tuna melts? Everybody <laughs> knew that this place had some of the best, best food yeah. and the worst service. And everybody talked about it like, I'd go there more often. The service Ooh, is so horrible. Bring it back. I'm going to go on record with this. Bringing it back. Roland's, man. Bad service. That happened to us. Our, yeah. serve, our server, our server was our, bad. So, so we bad went there last service. week. Okay. Yeah, we were so, there two so, weeks so, ago. So, two weeks yeah. ago. So our server halfway through just said, I have to leave. I oh. have to go pick up my kids. <laughs> So-and-so will help you out. And we didn't have any service the rest and, of the time. And yeah. so-and-so server did not care that we existed. And, no, and yeah. nobody, well, no, no, we probably would have had another beer. She wasn't getting we, the we tips, got nothing else. You know? The manager just 
ignored us. Yeah. He looked at us and he, yeah, because we asked for the tab and he looked at somebody else and like kind of like, yeah, and pointed and then he walked yeah. away. And and the, and it, and I, I mean, if I didn't, if I wasn't a hundred percent sure that every experience I had was like that and heard from everybody else that they had the same experience, I wouldn't like say this on a podcast, but like it was so bad there. And that was a place where it's like, that food was really good. The price point oh, was right. Was great. I loved the space, but like every time I go be like, the, the service is like painfully bad. It's like, unless you just had like two hours to be like, let me have lunch for two hours. Like it, it didn't make we, sense. We did that and it wasn't that good. Yeah. So for, for me, it's sometimes also tough to tell a restaurateur that the service sucked. I know I have to, but I also don't want to throw people under the bus. I know. Well, so and it, this it's is not their fault. You know, it's like sometimes it's not their fault. fault. Sometimes it is. If you look around, there's two tables. Service sucks. You're like, all right, you're a horrible server. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, it's not their it's not the owner's fault. You know, I don't know. But they should know because unfortunately, they're not there. So I I'm gonna say I was at Clever Coy with a winemaker recently, Mm. and the service was horrible. Gilbert or Phoenix? Phoenix. Oh my gosh! And I love that restaurant. I do too. (laughs) Well, it wasn't the service was good. It was actually too attentive. They were rushing us to the point where... Oh, I hate that. To the point yeah. where my buddy was taking a bite and she comes up and she's like, are you done eating that? And he goes, I'm taking a bite. <laughs> and and then she, we're still eating and she dropped a check and she pulled no. his water glass. Oh my gosh. And he's still eating. And Ugh. so he, when he went to pay, he goes, I just want to let you know, I felt really rushed. And then she got all apologetic. Uh, so I saw Josh at uh, Devoured. Yeah. And I'm like, Josh, I got to tell you. I'm like, I don't want to throw anybody on the bus, but I have to tell you how painful the service was because we felt rushed yeah. and to the point where my winemaker who's a good friend of mine who dines all over the world said something to her uh, and I don't think this is the guy that normally says stuff you yeah. know and finally he's like I feel rushed it's hard because I also have like yeah I've been on the other side where you're like hiring people you're doing everything you can to train them and they suck or you know what i mean or like they just yeah i don't know it's hard it's it's a hard industry there's only so well, many people it, in this it's valley. funny because yeah. you did get the experience of doing what you had to do with it but it's unfortunately something with this valley is there's always that grass is greener mentality in this city yeah. like so there's i i can only think of maybe a couple small restaurants where people really go i gotta get there because if i'm there that's a career like i will yeah. make six figures city at hall. this place yeah, yeah yeah well and and that's definitely a thing that actually i think that people um don't realize is happening as we raise the minimum wage which we're not going to talk about politics uh, or religion but as the minimum wage goes up and people can find uh, serving jobs that pay the same amount literally anywhere. Like at this point now, you know, if you're starting out as a server uh, at a fast, or working at a fast casual restaurant or serving, you can essentially make the same amount of money. Yeah. And it hourly. And it's just like, well, why would I stay at this independently owned restaurant that wants me to study a menu that changes every two weeks because it's seasonal when I can get a job at a place where I can literally punch buttons and get paid you were the just, same amount? You were just in Italy. That's, yeah. You become Italian service. Yeah. yeah. It's just... It's, it's one thing yeah. I've said is with, you know, like certain... At some point, sometime, the people who are servers are salespeople and you want to make your money, you can oh, yeah. absolutely make a killing but you got to want it yeah. and you don't really have it. So like, even with like what we have, what do you like, like going forward, like you're looking at Arizona, you know, you've been writing now for what, 
10 years yeah, now? You've seen a lot so you've change done, here. You've seen it. Oh God, like, where are you looking at it? Like, man, this is so good. I'm excited. Here's what we're going with. And like, where are the, where are the good highlights? Yeah. Where's the sunshine in oh our gosh, food industry? Oh my gosh, happy stuff. Um, I'm super, <laughs> super excited about, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, uh, mildly excited <laughs> about mildly? you. Look, you got to uh, look on your face like, like oh, I'm hesitantly excited. I'm like bringing it back, dialing I'm it in. No, <laughs> mildly hesitantly very more Pakistani food. <laughs> uh, Roosevelt Row is like my favorite area to cover right now. So and where is Roosevelt Row? So Roosevelt Row. Okay, so Roosevelt. It's Roosevelt Row. What people typically think of is probably like Seventh Street to Seventh Ave. But Roosevelt... So it's downtown it's Phoenix. It's downtown Phoenix, yeah. On Roosevelt Street from 7th Street to 7th Ave. The actual... Um, there's a there's a CDC. It's a nonprofit. So there's actually a, a official boundaries that go from I-10 south to Fillmore, which is one block south of Roosevelt, and that goes all the way from 16th to 7th Ave. So that covers uh, everything from, like, I think Welcome... Eh, Welcome Diners too far south. But, like, it's a, very, it's a broader kind of neighborhood than what people realize, but... Um, I was at a launch party or an announcement event thing last weekend. Meow Wolf, which is like a super cool. Wait, 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 wait. Are they bringing a Meow Wolf here? They're bringing a Meow Wolf. Holy crap. Because I know the one in New Mexico is crazy. Yes. They brought one here? They're bringing one here. Oh, wow. So like, so Roosevelt Row, popping off. Uh, In addition to, by the time this podcast probably airs, I'll have a story out that is a bigger piece about how there's actually a, like a long history of like women owned restaurants on Roosevelt. And there's like four women that are opening like over a half a dozen new restaurants and breweries and bars on Roosevelt. So that neighborhood like makes me super pumped, especially because I, uh, I went to the downtown ASU campus and I moved there in 2009 when downtown was like the stadium, the campus, and Joe bought. And, and like that was it. Tilted Kill. And <laughs> yeah. That no, been it. Tilted Kill. I think there was a Hooters. Hadn't opened yet. Hooters was, was Hooters. open. Yeah. Hooters was open, but but Cityscape like wasn't Cityscape. So I've oh, seen downtown awesome. change a ton. Um, so that just that area I'm super pumped about. Um, and then I think there's a lot of chicken stuff happening this year. I did. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, George, we saw yeah, that. All the hot, hot chicken. chicken is happening. Um, Korean fried chicken. We got there's our, a Korean fried got, chicken open up in Old Town Scottsdale. Yeah. Right now. So we're getting a lot of chicken. Uh, if people are excited about that, but, um, I, I'm really excited because just like generally speaking as like a food community, I think we're like hitting a maturity, like we've, we've kind of, the food We're out of diapers. We're starting to walk. Yeah. Like we're, we're, I was talking about it with you guys earlier, but like, like 2000, circa 2000 and just before the recession. So we're talking like 2007. I feel like there was a lot of momentum happening. Like a lot of, uh, Phoenix chefs were like emerging as like who they are now. So like we were talking, I, I posted on Facebook. I found a clip about Gio Oso who now owns Virtue, but in like 2008, I think this clip was from, he had like just started at a state house, which was like this awesome short lived, uh, French fine dining restaurant at Southbridge that closed. Um, actually had one of the most amazing wine lists that people don't even realize. Yes. They had a wine cellar built in the parking garage. Yeah. So, and (laughs) yeah. And, and at the same time, this was like when DJ Steve was open and, and Peyton Curry was like making a name for himself and Nobu was like at Seesaw and he was, earning his national attention. And so all this crazy stuff was happening. That was kind of like our first little like pop. I felt like I wasn't here then. So I feel, I also think I just 
feel this way, maybe because I wasn't so, here. So, so, <laughs> but, I miss it. But there's like I there, FOMO. You got it on the tail. Yeah. There, there's like ten chefs that we respect now that own their own restaurants. Yes. That at that point, we're getting their head chef jobs. Yes, and we're like just so, kind of coming into their own, and now they all. You know, it's like people like Bernie Kantak, you know, who has went went on to Open Citizen and, and then the Gladly and now is kind of like at that point where he's like, OK, my restaurant starts sustaining themselves. What am I going to do next? And so I'm super excited to see like this next kind of like I feel like we're at a point where we can sort of take a new a new age will be starting. Well, soon, it's almost I like hope. the next generation. It's the chefs that are working underneath them. Yes. That are moving on. The people like Samantha Sens. Yes. Who love her. Right. But now she's taken that next step. Yeah. And it's the people then they're going are working underneath her and it's their next step. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're getting to is that we look back to when Josh and Keenan or Keenan and Peyton Curry were taking yeah. their first steps or their second steps because he was a Cafe Boa guy. Oh my gosh. But, but, yeah. But DJ Steve, but now they all own their own restaurants and there's people learning underneath them. Totally. So I'm really excited that in five or 10 years when all those people are owning their restaurants and they could say, I learned underneath Peyton and Joe Asso yeah. and you have like Charlene and Sasha Levine yeah. love her. Yeah. So there's, there's, I think that it's like, it's, it's time for all Ooh. those people. Is that the, what's Rob's wife's name? She was over at a, uh, Tam- Tamara Stanger. Oh uh, Cotton yeah. Copper. Oh yeah. She's yeah. Killing I love Tamara. Yeah. We're going to get to that too. Cause I love what they're doing with their bar program, their food program, yeah. their break even bottles. I was like, is- dude, she was oh my awesome. Gosh. I'm such a big whiskey drinker. And I was like on their Instagram and I, and somebody I know had posted about their, like their thing where they like, they, they, they pour it at cost. They right? buy a high end single vintage kind of like liquor bottle. Like, Hey, here's a 15 year old scotch. There's only 200 bottles made. Yeah. It costs us $500 for this bottle. So each glass is whatever that is. Yeah, here's the breakdown math per ounce. It's this come on in. You get it for the cost. It costs us. I love that. It's brilliant. It's a cool concept. Yeah. Why pay for marketing? Why? I was very adamantly against it, by the way, at first when we talked about this, but then I realized why they were doing it. And I was like, actually, it's really smart because I assumed it was something that they had just consistently had. And I'm like, why would you show people what your cost is? But I think at the same time, it's so cool to be like, listen, average person, you're not going to spend $50 a shot. It's actually $17.36. Come on in and try it. And yeah. you know what? You're going to get 24 people because that's how many ounces are in that. And they're going to be like, holy crap, we got to go try that. But, totally. but there's somebody that's going to see that go, I always wanted to try that liquor. Or that's my favorite liquor and I can't even afford it normally. Right. But now I can go and get a, a great meal yeah. and enjoy it and spend some time with my family. It's Wait, it's who's waste. bringing their family to the bar? Well, you're all family. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Lauren. I was like, what? <laughs> Lauren, do you not bring your family to the bar? Because uh, my have mom. You, have, you not, have you not met Burge Coppins? Uh, okay. <laughs> I have, actually. But more importantly, if I'm bringing anyone's family to the bar, I'm bringing Jonathan's grandparents. <laughs> it's my, it's my they grandparents. They are so fucking fun. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, my the, mom and grandparents. Yeah. Party. Stephanie, if you're listening... Please come back. I love you. Let's go to Zips. Let's Don't have worry. wings. She, she's coming back in November. <laughs> yes. We're going to party hard. Yes. About R- Ruby and... Ruby and Cotton. Cotton. Yeah. Oh, oh my, my mom was here like a couple months ago, and they literally just walked in the door in the middle of a podcast and started screaming and yelling. <laughs> we actually just straight stopped the podcast. Of course. It yeah. That sounds... It was fantastic. Exactly like yeah. Okay. Also, I just want to tell the story about the one time that I got invited to Sunday Italian dinner at Jonathan's oh, grandparents' Jesus. house. And he was... So we're on the way to this thing. First of all... I'm a dumbass, and I wore white jeans to this worst. thing, which is <laughs> worst which, thing you could have. I don't. Ever done. First of all, wore, that was the first day I had worn these white jeans. 
and I never the wore last them time. again. You know what, if I, let me ask you this. Now that you've worked in restaurants, do you own a no, single pair of white shirts? No, that's the That's so dumb. But uh, so John was like, uh, but my family's kind of crazy. They're very Italian. Just be ready. Uh, also, I think I was like maybe 20 because I because I you, was not a big drinker. Then. I just, yeah, because you were, really you got a whiskey drunk. sour when you walked in the door. Oh, no, I got, I, I, got, I got the pleasure of knowing Lauren from when she was fresh at ASU. Yeah, <laughs> I was like a child. Uh, so we get to this house and uh, they, my wine glass was never empty, which was just so Ever. Italian and wonderful. And not where it's at now. It was like no, two it thirds was like full. full. Like they fill it up like it's juice. Um, and then literally, I forget what the argument happened, but literally at <laughs> one point, John's argument. mom, <laughs> like hands on the table, stands up and literally is yelling, fuck you <laughs> across the dinner table to her sister, I think. While, while she's laughing, oh, like yeah. she slams no, it was, fuck yeah. laughing, it was, glasses it was, up. Yeah, yeah. It, w- it wasn't like an actual argument, but it was so Italian It was and the most New York Italian yeah. thing you could have ever witnessed. And I remember Lauren coming back home and she was like, well, that was an experience. I was like, whoa. And also, we did I it at sp- least 10 more times. spilled all over my pants. They were ruined. It was a good time. Yeah, my parents' party. Well, my mom and grandparents' party. <laughs> yeah, I made yeah. the mistake of wearing the uh, white linen jacket to uh, devour. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, Bad you move. did. Yeah, I had, <laughs> I, I, had, I had barbecue hot chicken handprints <laughs> on my back for people hugging me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did? It was right. Because yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, somebody gave you a hug with hot Dry chicken cleaning. sauce. Yeah. Yeah. It's all anyway. good. If I'm anyone ever it, gets invited to John's grandparents' house, go. Listen, we might have a Spilling the Truth podcast where my grandparents just make yes. food one day. <laughs> love it. Yes. I'll fly them out for a night. Oh, my God. I no, love No, I'm that. glad to hear that, though, just because, uh, like, you know, we've had enough, a couple restaurant people on here, and there's no, there's, there's the complaints about how we can make it better, but, like, it's one of those things where the sun's coming up and you see it. Everybody's saying, you know, the food's getting better. Yeah. You know, restaurants are getting a little more focused. It's less chainy as long as you're in, you know, like certain pockets. Yeah. And so I'm excited for good food to hit this city. You know, like I, I, I've got a couple friends that they travel, honestly, every other weekend to a point where they go to Boston, Portland, New York, Chicago, because they got to go to the Michelin star thing. And they're like, they're showing me pictures. Look how amazing this food is, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, well, the price was $500 a person. I'm like, damn, like. I want to try that, but I also want to go to a cell and see, you know, Brandon make me an amazing, and Brandon will come to the bar and talk with me for 20 minutes while we're drinking Muga Reserve, and he made this four-course meal that was fantastic, and it was like, you know, 80 bucks. Like, it's high for Arizona, but still, it's killer. Yeah. So I'm hoping as we get bigger and better, you know, this food just keeps growing well, especially in Taco Row down here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in order to get the word out, we need great ambassadors. We need people out there talking about it and talking about it. In Lauren, a, we're looking at you on I'm this so one. I'm so loud. I'm talking so loud. But, <laughs> but, but You learned well from the Italian I, I, family. I, I appreciate your look on restaurants, your take on restaurants, because you're not just looking for what's wrong with them. Yeah. You're looking at talking about what's going on. And that's my biggest gripe with food reviewers, food critics, people that go into restaurants. And they go in looking for all the negatives and then the review is nothing but the negatives. There could have been a thousand positives. They don't talk about those. Yeah. And both your take and Dominic's take are the same, are, are about positives, negatives, what's going on, a little bit of all of it. But we need ambassadors in the restaurant business. Yeah. I need ambassadors in the wine business. Can't have somebody who just talks shit about every wine. Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, like, 
it, I, like it's corny, but like I truly feel super lucky that I get to do what I do because there are so many passionate people in Phoenix about food and wine. I, I like both of you guys, Colin. For I love everybody. I love them and every and you know having worked on that industry, you're not in it unless you truly care. And to get to to get to wake up and be paid money to like talk to those people and tell their stories is like the best job. I, it's like the best fucking they job. They do say don't trust a skinny food critic though. So. I know. I know. People are always <laughs> like, why are you so skinny? Okay, follow me on Instagram. Have you noticed how I literally like climb Camelback like, like every fucking day. Like this is not an accident. I actually, when I, when I first became the full-time food writer at the New Times, uh, I like was throwing myself into my work and I wasn't working out. And I like basically was like, I am going to start taking time, the time that I need to like be healthy. And I've just like, I've always been like, listen, if I, I, if I'm, if I need to leave work at five to like make it to the, my workout that I planned, like I'm going to do it because like, otherwise I can't, you can't. Yeah. I'm not going to die at 50. Yeah. Like the food writer, actually has to put in more energy outside of yes. food writing so that they're not all of a sudden waking up one day going, oh my God, I'm 60 pounds heavier two years into my job. I ate foie job. gras 14 days in a row. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Christopher Gross fed me too much foie gras. Yeah, no. I, I, yeah, it's a it's a real thing. And like sometimes people it's are like, a literal why, do you, job. why do you work out so much? And one, I actually am just like, I, like I'm a very high energy, but I like to be moving around all no the way. time. No way. Yeah. No, yeah. no surprise. Uh, yeah. I love that your soul is Italian. <laughs> So like, I also just like would rather be climbing a mountain or like running on the the canal than like sitting at home. Listen, you can start a new Instagram where you eat food while you're climbing a mountain. (laughs) And then I throw up. No, No, but uh, yeah. So, so I, one that those are just my hobbies, but also like if I didn't work out as much as I do or be active as what I prefer to say as much as I do, like I would weigh like three times as much as yeah. I weigh. <laughs> that, I mean, that happened to me even in working for the Italian families. Like all they do is yeah, feed you. Like all... you eat and drink and eat more and you, they say, here, eat. I don't have time. Sorry, I got to run. Well, take some food to go. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, I don't have time. Take some bread to go. I know. <laughs> and then I like hate wasting food. I won't waste food. No. I'll eat it. Like yeah. I'll just eat it. So, but I also <laughs> was telling Jonathan, like I actually cook a lot and at home I, I am like a kind of militant. Like I don't, I don't bring processed food into my house. I only really shop at like sprouts cause they're like, I try to buy like whole foods. I buy whole vegetables, um, I, you know, like I won't even, I try not to buy bread unless it's like noble bread where it's like a minimal amount of like, as I'm, long as there's salt in it, you're good. Yeah. As long as it's salted, <laughs> I'm in, um, and no sugar. Uh, but yeah. So like, I like when I eat, when I'm cooking for myself, I cook pretty healthy. I usually cook vegetarian. Well, Alice Waters in her book talked about Alice Waters is coming to Phoenix. What? In yeah. So I'm also a plug on the board of slow food Phoenix and Alice Waters is coming and giving a lecture at ASU in um, who are you going? To, I'm going. If you need, it's, if it's you need free it, for wait, the wait, public. Wait, 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 if you need wait, a date slow, or something. Slow food? Was that Valentina was talking about slow food? It's from it's a, it's, yeah, it's uh, a, it got started in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. It was started, it's an international organization that was actually started uh in Rome because they were trying to open a McDonald's near the Spanish steps. I well, that's say. just blasphemy on right. all kinds of ends. So this these people were like nah, that's not how we do it in Italy. And they started this organization that uh, promotes 
slow food, op- the opposite of fast food, where it's like whole foods and growing your own foods. I have a garden at home and I grow really pitiful vegetables, but I eat them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I almost brought you guys the radishes I grew, but they were like embarrassing. Okay, like, first Meh. off, I'm a radish fiend. You could <laughs> bring me. Oh my me- God, I knew that. You knew that. You should have known. Oh, Lauren, watermelon get radishes out. are John's favorite. <laughs> All right, okay, I'll bring you some next time. Uh, so, anyway, so I'm on the board of the Phoenix chapter and um, uh, ASU is having Alice Waters come out to do a lecture on the campus and I can tell you the no, date. Let me know when I would love it's to go. Cause yeah, I'd go to that. It is. I'm also, I'm still annoyed that I didn't get my radishes made by you. I know, sorry. I, it's, no, it's March we were talking, 27th, which is a Wednesday. I try and buy everything that, or I try and buy nothing that comes in a box or a can. Yeah. And that's something I learned from her. Yeah. I shop in two aisles in the grocery store. Yeah. Pro- produce and meats. Yeah. Nothing processed. I mean, there's a couple crossovers. I mean, I got to buy mustard. I don't make my mustard from right. scratch. <laughs> yeah. So. I buy my own, bu- I buy butter. I don't make that. Yeah. 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 I mean, oh, I'm not Amish. And turn around. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I, yeah. I, yeah. But no, but so yeah, I try to do that. Dan Barber also, if you have read like his uh, Omnivore's uh, Dilemma, is that the one? Is that think? English? <laughs> I said omnivore's dilemma, okay. but then I was like, Spell I actually don't M's. think that maybe <laughs> I'm thinking M's. of the third plate. I'm like a little bit mixing up my authors right. and food books, but, but yeah, like I'm a big believer in like, uh, eat food, mostly plants, not too much type of type of cooking at home. But like with the caveat of like when I'm out, I'll like get the fuck down on some natural um, hot You and chicken. I are very <laughs> similar to that. Yes. You know what? We're with you on that. We're yep. the same yeah. thing. You know, we go to the farmer's market, we buy our food from our home, but when we eat out, we're going to go have a fun, fun Yeah, time. like I'm going to drink five drinks and then also have dessert. But when I'm home, carrot sticks. <laughs> I'm not I'm not cooking foie gras at home. No. But I'm sure as hell going to tear some down yeah. at that. There there's no chips in my house. But no. outside of the house, no rules. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Well, that's been great. Yeah. All right. Well, what else you want to talk about? We good? You want to talk about Brunello? Yeah, I want to learn more about... Can we talk about the first wine? Seriously, for a second? (laughs) For like two seconds. Only two... Let's let's finish this up. Let's finish this up with some wine because honestly, this was... I love talking about food as much as we did. I want to say two things because I'm killing Damien for a second. I know he wants to get to this Brunello. He's shaking. He's the dog when your mom... He's ready to spring it. I'm I'm, going to edit you out anyway, so talk. (laughs) Perfect. I I like the idea of the slow food because Valentina from Nona came in. They did slow food down in uh, like Mexico. Uh, They had their bees that they're trying to keep alive to be... Yes. Stop in tune Save and the bees. some food. And uh, I, I think it's really cool that we're getting to a point where everybody's kind of being real conscious about the food that they make. And in the segue of how well we treat our grapes, Ooh. Brunello is hands down the best Sangiovese grape on the planet because you were in Tuscany. Yes. I don't know if you got a chance to experience Brunello if you were I just didn't. drinking Chianti Did at you the go time. to the town of Montalcino? I'm just sparing again. Ooh, I didn't. It's I... like a hilltop town, wall around it. Okay, but there's like a bajillion. And they all have clock towers. Uh, this one didn't. Let me let me look up which walled town I was in because I was in a walled town um, in Tuscany. It was in Tuscany, but it was in Chianti. It was right outside of Chianti, like Panzano, maybe Castellina. Yeah, Castellina does sound familiar. Man. Well, so when Wait. it comes to these little DOCG labels, the first DOCGs were in Tuscany, and Brunello was one of them. Uh, Brunello is a clone of Sangiovese. It's called Sangiovese Grosso. And is it bigger? It's angrier. <laughs> okay. But Grosso <laughs> like, usually means like fat. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, wait. Oh, oh, no. It's like okay. a dark, angry version of Sangiovese that produces a wine that could be a little more tannic upon release. Um, it is their clone of Montalcino of Sangiovese. And 
this is one of the most iconic wines in the world. It's also wine that's been faked a lot of times. Hmm. In 2004, there was a scandal in which a good portion of the producers didn't make Brunello because they all got caught blending other stuff in their wine. In fact, uh, there's a guy that just passed away. Uh, his last name was Soldera. He was the guy who threw all the neighbors under the bus and said, he's putting Cabernet in his Brunello. He's putting Syrah in his Brunello. He's putting something else in his Brunello. Dude, what a rat. He ratted everybody else. Check out Italian justice, though. <laughs> eight, eight years later... Somebody went into his winery, opened up the tap panels on every barrel, and dumped three vintages <gasps> of wine down the drain. Like millions and millions of dollars worth of wine. He walked in the winery, and the wine was up to his knees. I was going to say that was too harsh, but Italian it justice. fair. Yeah. Damn. So, so to be Brunello, you have to be 100% Sangiovese Grosso. You have to be aged a minimum of four years. There's a lot of laws and rules to go into it. Because so many people have faked it and tried to mess with it over the years, they keep having to tighten the laws and make it tougher and tougher. You notice this Brunello has a ton of oak on it, or is it just me? A lot more than what I remember. You're definitely wrong. I can tell. I'm sorry, guys. So, but, I just but like honestly, though, I, I, annoying. I, you know what I like about <laughs> what you might know is you have a better like sense of food, so I'm intrigued to see what you think of some of these things, because uh, you could probably pull flavors out. Like me, I can't get past the oak on this. Like There's a lot of oak on it, and I would not think Brunello would have this kind of oak. Especially with a 2010 vintage, because you figure you'd let the fruit I mean, still shine good. through more. Um, also, what's something about wines, Lauren, is that they go through these peaks and valleys. So you could have a wine one year that is fantastic. You have that same wine the next year, and it's going through a dumb phase. Hmm. It happened to me in life. Right? Yeah. I, I went I'm through my one. phase where I wore baggy jeans or where like... Oh, uh, hi. John went through a phase where he wore those yep. really cool jeans with like the studs. Oh, you had bedazz- bedazzled <laughs> jeans. First off. This is now We've the had this third, discussion before. This is now the I third conversation like yeah. about you and your bedazzled jeans. <laughs> I lived with a lot of, you know, basketball players. Yeah, yeah that was so, a good time. Anyway, so so okay. just, just like every young man... I can't say African-Italians because that would be racist. <laughs> <laughs> wines go through those same bedazzled gene phases where uh. I could have this wine this year and it might taste okay. It might have the same wine next year. Like, oh my God, it tastes completely different. Quality wines will go through peaks and valleys as they age. And actually, I do kind of get some oak on this. So I totally see where you're coming from. But this less dry than the first, than the last one we were drinking. Well, we were talking about this with Jason. All the Italian wines live in the front of your mouth, all the tannin, tannin is like on your lips. Mm. Your gums, it's not in the back at all. Right where so, I like it. you know. Just kidding. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry. Right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but like, it's, you know, we'll, we do Italian wines more than anything else. And it's fun trying new stuff. I just was surprised by how much oak was on this one. And, you know, the Bricaboti was probably my favorite. Hands I down. literally met Jonathan over a bottle of Brunello. He was shopping for Brunello in a store, and I came up and was like, I'm going to sell him some wine. Yeah, he also asked me to meet him in an alley word afterwards. But. Yeah. And, 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 and all these years later, mm-hmm. and all these years later, we have a podcast. <laughs> uh, I really, really liked the first wine we were drinking, but now I like this better than the first one. Uh, these are wines, too. They're, they're going to change. If we sit around for three more hours drinking these, they're going to change yeah, continuously. Uh, this has opened up a lot since we first poured it. Cause I sipped this first and I feel like it's now I, it's, I'm so I gotta ask. Cause I know you still have, do you still have that 
domain is it domain uh, Carneros old ass Pinot Noir that you had? Because we drank that. Did you? Oh but man, I, I wanted almost, to drink that with the window. Uh, sorry, Lauren, uh, kill me. But I did have. I almost brought. I had two bottles in my uh, tiny wine fridge uh, from from Domaine Carneros. No, you know what? One was a Ron Bauer Chardonnay, which is the one I almost oh. brought you guys because wow. I was like, I'm going to make y'all drink this oak bomb. We would have drank it. You know what, you know what we're going to make you drink if you bring that? Zima. No, that's not fair. Our first episode, we drank Zima. <laughs> okay, well, that's kind of I got four bottles left. <laughs> They're aging okay, for you. but it is a there's, a... there's a Zima with your name on I it. I think it's a 2015 Ron Bauer uh, single vineyard uh, Chardonnay. And it's probably, I mean, I obviously bought it because I think it's good. So I actually, maybe we'll do another episode and I'll drink it together. We do a Rombauer episode with Lauren. Uh, honestly, yeah. I'm down to do a blind Chardonnay episode where we each bring like a bottle of Chardonnay or something along those, oh, like, shit. where we blind it. So yeah. we, we don't know what's actually in it. So I know, but you're going to know the Napa one. It's going to be the one well, laid down in oak for like eight years. All right. So <laughs> now here we are later on because I've seen you, because you drank out of my wine cellar when we were yeah. at the house. We were drinking the Malbecs and all that. What What is your go? to damn i love this wine i want to drink these wines not like Ugh. a brand just like i'm a chardonnay drinker i'm a yeah. Blanc. like i mean so i actually what's your jam Lauren? when i was younger i used to always be like a bud light sharp <laughs> bud light PBR, how much bud light did we drink jack daniels whiskey no uh i used to came over to my house <laughs> took that sky vodka sky back vodka. out of the fridge. chateau yeah. natty light uh, I used to drink a lot of, I, I liked to, I was like all about oaky buttery Chardonnays 365 days a year. Love that Napa shit. And like big cabs. That was like what I grew up. I say grew up drinking, but that's like what my parents always had. So that's what I liked. Um, but now I'm like a way more of like a seasonal wine drinker where it's like, if like nice. during the winter, if I want a white, like I'm still going to reach for a oaky buttery Napa Chardonnay. Uh, but like during the summer, like no, I do not want that. Like I, I would, you know, rather have a, a light. light. That, that's a foodie for you though. Cause yeah. Yeah. you don't want Thanksgiving dinner in July. Right. You don't want to have something heavy weighing you down when it's warm out. And that's for Ooh, but my beverages kind of match my cuisine, which I have a year throughout the year. Right. Yeah. But I'd like to do an episode like where a one jammy, time, like a jammy Zinfandel. Yeah. Not, but when it's, really? when it's 115? No, not when it's 115, but like a lot of the time. Yeah. Which, is the other, like? which is the other wine I had. It's she like would, a super jammy Rombauer Zinfandel. She would like uh, episode, what was it, six when I did Scar when we did Scarlet. Yeah. That Zinfandel would blow your mind. Dude, I like Zinfandels that you drink it and you're like, this might be like a fucking port. I don't even it's know. Like a, it's like a double IPA, <laughs> yeah, basically. It's yeah. like, oh, it's just fruit. Well, I got one for you. We'll drink a Zinfandel yes. next time. Well, I'll tell you, Lauren, I want to have you on the show more often. Yes. It's, your passion for food and wine is contagious. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And you're you're very real. Like there's some people that when they talk, you feel like they're thinking about everything they say. Where you just say it, and then you'll think about it later. Oh yeah, no filter. But the, <laughs> see, this is what love it. But see, that's why I have trouble writing because when I write, I think about it and I rewrite it and I rewrite it and I rewrite yeah. it. When I talk, I can't rewrite that shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's already out there. See, and that's when you're a journalist. Yeah. You're you're writing so much copy and like I'm writing something every day or I'm like whatever just put it out there. No. I mean not really. 
I have an editor. So but- I, think down, I think down the line we might do this because we keep talking. We talk a lot about the same things that I think we'll build up to is a food and wine based thing. We're like we were talking with I think it was was a Kirti who's like let's do French fries and wine. Yeah, <laughs> well we're gonna do that with David Tida because he has the French- David. Yeah. Yes. Tida has the French fry festival coming up. Yes. So we're gonna do a French fry and wine pairing about a week. Or ten days David. beforehand, yeah, just to kind of promote his festival and he, also he tweeted like a box of donuts and he was like, "How good did I do?" And I was like, "Depends. Are you bringing me any?" And he was like, <laughs> "No." And I was like, "Not that fucking good, David." And downvote. <laughs> Bring awesome. me donuts. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So, so how does somebody follow you on your social media? On my social media, Google my name. No, uh, actually, you could. But my Instagram handle is my name, which is Lauren Saria, which my last name is Maria, but with an S. Wait, 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 uh, wait, 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 what? wait, I've known you for <laughs> almost 10 years. Your last name is Maria with an S. It is. What? Yeah. Sorry. S- I'm blown away by this. <laughs> S-A-R-I-A-M-A-R-I-A. No. It's S, a silent S. It's like, it's like Maria, but with an S in front. It's so, it's Saria. Maria with an S. Did you never notice that? What? That it was Maria? Yeah. Well, it's the way it's spelled. Sorry. Sorry. No, wait. Ma- I'm sorry. I must have. I, I, misheard. I thought you said your last name was Saria Maria. No, 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 no. 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 My last name is Saria. But, oh, but, but okay. people are right, like, right. how the fuck do I spell Saria? Never like, mind. It's Maria, but it starts with an S. Sorry. I, I, I heard confusing. you said Saria Maria. I thought your oh, middle no. name was Saria. Your last name was Maria. No. Guys, we drank Bell Star Prosecco. <laughs> We're on like Brunello, our fifth glass of wine. And Bricaboti. Yeah. I may be drinking a lot. All right, so... Okay, so that is my all Instagram right, so handle. Uh, and then my uh, my Twitter and my Facebook are like the same thing. They're, they're all linked uh, up Yeah, they're you. all very... If you find again, one, you're going to find the rest. If you can't find me on the internet, you're doing the internet wrong. Look for the girl with the smile and the food. Yeah. <laughs> but, but also yeah. through the Republic. And the Arizona Republic. So yeah, I'm I'm the dining reporter at the Arizona Republic. Uh, there's an author page that also links to all of, all of my stories and uh, all of my social media. So you can find me there. And you can email me. I'm I'm easy to find. My email's on the on my author page. So, awesome. if you know about any cool restaurants that are opening and you want to tell me before everybody else knows, we we come that. to you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, but gonna sometimes people know stuff before me. So. Listen, if you get tickets to something and uh, you need a helping hand, we'll do that. I have. We'll, we'll okay, judge yeah. the wine menu. All right, I'm down. No, we got to go see Alice Waters together. That'd be yes. Awesome. Yeah, we'll do that. Which she's here March 27th. 27th. So yeah. Yeah, and on my social media, there's links actually to how to the her her lecture at ASU is free and open to the public. So actually, like everybody awesome. come. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. Cool. Cool, guys. Well, you know, as usual, we love uh, that you listen to us, and yeah, Lauren, <laughs> we thank- hope you don't take us too seriously. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, thanks for coming on. I really <laughs> yeah, appreciate it today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thanks right, everybody for listening. Cheers. Love Cheers. you guys. Cheers. <laughs>